All right. So I guess we should start, huh? Probably. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So yeah, here it is, Monday night, and there's an empty book in the cat house tonight. And um, I guess, oh, I guess this is the Pie Factory podcast, which uh, it better well be, or else uh, iTunes mislabeled our files or something, in which case that would be kind of nutty. Especially since this week in potatoes has gone on hiatus. Oh, very true that, very true that. Oh boy, exciting things to come. Yes, so. exciting indeed. Um. Anyway, hey, hey, hey. This is. Uh, you know what? You know what I should be tonight. I should be Shawnee two times. Shawnee two times. Shawnee two times. Okay. And uh, why yeah. is that? I'd rather not say because you already hate me for it. Ah. Uh, okay. Because of something I did two times in the past month or so. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. Fine. Okay. I. I Fine, twice I got a world record on Twin Galaxies. Ah. Oh, yeah, you did, didn't you? I hate you for other reasons, but not that. It was just a coincidence, so that's when you decided to tell me you hate me. Yes, it was a coinky okay. dink. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, and I'm coming uh, here from uh, Pie Factory Headquarters North in beautiful, well, almost uptown Chicago, because the neighborhood directly south of me is called Uptown. So The neighborhood uh, south anyway. is up. Well, yeah. So you're going down to Uptown. I well, I'm not going to Uptown. At least, well, except maybe for my ride to work tomorrow. But so you go you know. down to Uptown. I go down to Uptown. Ooh, man! You sure you're not a rapper or something? And I go over an underpass too. You could be like the white Eminem or something. No, I couldn't. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> going down to Uptown. Oh, yeah, Aiden, uh, from the uh, Pie Factory Logistics Center south of Morris, this is Jimmy G. And not only are we south of Morris, but we're south of Morris as well. So, hey, you've got it both covered. Oh. Okay, there you go. So you're not actually in Morris, you're south of Morris. The actual name of the Logistics Center is south, comma, of Morris, but we're also south of Morris. So, hey, you know, we got it. We got all our bases covered. All right, I'm so confused. Uh, and that has stopped you when? You have no idea. No idea. Thank you. What could go wrong with an old-fashioned? Kind of reminds me of the old um, commercial I saw in the movie theater. Interestingly enough, I saw saw this uh, this uh, commercial in the movie theater here in uh, Morris, uh, which is actually now a church. Which I they have forgot. movie theaters in Morris? Yes, they do. Actually, we have a multiplex huh. on the north side of town, and I believe I was either there's a at side the theater, in Morris. I'm ignoring you. Uh, it was either Strange Brew, Bob and Doug McKenzie, or Critters at this theater in town. And uh, they were showing a commercial for Atari's home version of Pole Position. And the commercial starts with, well, there's Muffy, Buffy, and Biff Jr. and me. are looking for something fun to do or something like that. And then they go into the whole Pole Position thing, which is kind of a weird, weird commercial. But uh, it's I know, I know I've seen it on YouTube. So you can well, always uh, look it up. Which home version of Pole Position, though? Uh, I believe it was the 5200 version they were uh, promoting. And then the 2600, he had Pole Position and he had Pole Position. That's true. We did have Pole Position, which I want to play that game sometime. I wonder if there's oh, yeah, what, yeah. El- what more elements are left out of that one. Well, for one thing, uh, a, a couple of letters are left out. Yeah, Pat, I'd like to buy an O, please. No, I'm sorry. There's no O. 
No, there's one O. No, actually, there would be two O's, not three, now that I think about it. Yeah. I'd like to solve the puzzle. Pulposition. Yes, you're correct. You win the car. <sighs> so, uh, what have you been doing lately? Anything interesting? Uh, I went on a road trip. Oh, really? Yeah, I tripped over the road, and I had to make a road trip to go somewhere to trip over the road. And that is really going nowhere. I actually went to the Midwest Gaming Classic with a friend. Oh, really? Yes. How was that? It was quite interesting, and a good time was had by all. Why doesn't anybody ever say everybody had a good time? Why does everybody have to put it in the passive voice? Because the passive voice is... Trust me, that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, you're right. It's not going anywhere. But the passive voice is something that I just like because I like it. That's why. So... Yeah, I had, uh, had some fun there. Met up with some uh, some friends from Atari AJ, uh, S1500, uh, Tempest, uh, NATO, N-A-T-E-O, NATO, not NATO, like the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but NATO. NATO! Who I believe is our newest sponsor. I believe you are correct. Um, I don't have that information right in front of me. Yeah, Nate Lockhart. Thank you, Nate. Uh, you can share your thanks with Richard Valdez, Keith Sheehan, Andy Ryerson, Rory Coleman, and Scott Lambert. Thank all of you for your support. We are very, very, very grateful. That we are indeed are, because every donation makes the magic happen. Granted, it's just a cheap card trick, but it does make it happen, and that is the important thing. Oh, indeed, thing. indeed. Oh, you know what? I also went to Midwest Gaming Classic, and I also met with S fifteen hundred and Tempest and Nate O. And Nate O even interviewed me. Really? He Can interviewed you say me the as same well. about you? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. How, what are the odds? It's almost as if both of us happen to be in the same place at the same table. At the same table, yes. Yeah. What are the odds of that? Astronomical. Yes. 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 But yeah, we went to Midwest Gaming Classic. Indeed, we did. I, um, I don't know about you, but it was the first time for me in ten years. Same ten uh, years. The, the interesting thing is, is that was me and you went at the same time ten years ago as well. Yep, and that was the last time I went. Yeah, and here I am thinking, oh, okay, yeah, hey, we got a podcast. We should go to Midwest Gaming Classic and plug it. Hell let's yeah. see, two thousand six. Yeah, let's see. It cost us ten bucks a pop then. So yeah, cool. And then I order my tickets. It's forty dollars a pop now. But you know, though, the thing with that is the uh, the show is so much freaking bigger than it was when we were there the first time. Oh, big oh, time! Holy, they, it's so big they actually had to put up a huge tent for the uh, vendor hall, which I didn't get to go to because I was busy. I took a just... brief uh, walk through there. I was looking for a couple of things, but I didn't really get a chance to see much of anything. And supposedly one of the vendors in there actually had a prototype Coleco Chameleon. I saw a picture of it. I saw the picture, too. And it was a dev version. The dev version, indeed. And um, I wish I would have saw where that was. I tried looking for O-Net Gaming there. They're the um, used game store that's 25 miles to my west, which actually the way I'm sitting is 25 miles behind me. And um, I did not see them. Uh, I was a little disappointed that I couldn't find it. But then again, I only really went through there very quick because I know you and I didn't want to leave you at the table all by your lonesome for too long because I know you'd get lonely. So I really needed to hurry back. But uh, it was fun. We met up, you know, with uh, some of our old friends, uh, Scott Lambert, of course, and then uh, 
on Doc yeah, Mack. Yeah, and by the way, the Scott and Dan Lambert, I got to say, they were, in all seriousness, they were really, 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 really good to us. Uh, what do you they mean were, were? They are. They were and continue to be really, really good to us. At least that's what we're hoping. They haven't failed us yet. Why would they? We were actually looking to get our own table and we never said a word and scott said hey if you guys want to join us come on and join us and you know i, I was feeling kind of bad for uh, kind of bad for dan who runs the place not dan lambert but i forgot dan's last name but who's in charge of uh, midwest gaming classic because you know he was trying to come up with some way to work us in since we were only going to be there on saturday dan loosen which would Dan Lucen, thank you. That's right. And the thing is, it would have screwed up all his plans. So I, I was like, you know what? We do have a backup plan. I don't want to put you through the trouble. He, he said, okay. He said, he said, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And so we took Scott up on his offer, and uh, we joined him at the Underground Retrocade table. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I think we actually, we actually uh, did pretty well in terms of uh, reaching out and getting a, getting a response there. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were actually. Uh Interviewed by uh, Nito for uh, a, a new uh, thing he's uh, he's doing. I didn't quite I didn't catch the name of it, but um, Nate, if you're listening, uh, if you could please fill us in on the details. You're giving us money. I hope you're listening. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. And then what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll promote it to high heaven and um, go on with that. But yeah, I, I totally missed the name of it. He and I know he told us, and he had actually one of those microphones that had one of those professional-looking little plastic yeah. things on it that actually had the name of the show, which we need to invest in something yeah. like that. <laughs> we'll just uh, duct tape a couple of our business cards to our microphone. Well, that's what Scott said we and, should do, you know, like what the news stations do. Yeah, yeah. In indeed. fact, nowadays they are kind of rectangular, like uh, business cards, because now they have to stick the, the letters HD at the end. Now, mm, yeah. So that was uh, that was interesting there, and then uh, we were a brief guest on another podcast. Got was it guys, games, and games? Was it games, guys, and beer, or guys, yeah. games, and beer? I can't remember. Which, which. actually, it, it's one wasn't of the, really a totally catch-all name for their podcast because there actually are plenty of women involved, from what I could tell. That is true, and um, you know we got to meet. Uh, I don't remember everybody's name, but uh, we met Drunk Larry. I was going to say, who can forget Drunk Larry? He needs to be a main character in a video game of some yes, sort. Yes, yes, he there does. There needs to be a hack of Tapper with him. <laughs> we had a long talk about Tapper with him. Oh, yeah. And um, he, he needs, seriously, he needs to be in Tapper. He's, there needs to be a special edition awesome. made. So if uh, the creator of Tapper is listening, contact um, Guys Games and Beer and uh, get a hold of Drunk Larry. Put him in the game. He needs to be in the game. Yes, uh, absolutely. There are a bunch. Uh, there are a bunch of great people. Um, the uh, they take the beer part very, very seriously. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to go into too much detail about that, but uh, you could really tell that they took the uh, the beer part very seriously. Well, if I understand correctly, now I'm a new listener. I mean, I I literally just subscribed to their show this morning. So I'm not really sure exactly what their deal is, but I think their deal is that they get drunk and then talk about video games. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, there's a, another podcast I listen to uh, where uh, they uh, they take a couple of uh, bong hits and talk about events of the day. So that's, that's always uh, mm. fun. Yeah, I actually haven't subscribed to it just yet, mainly because I forgot to subscribe to it this morning. Man, I got a lot of catching up I got to do because 10 Pence was four hours long. I think the new Super Podcast Brothers just came out. They're going on pretty long in that episode, too. Yeah, I think that one is like three hours long. And uh, here I was uh, talking about how uh, 
was it on this show or might have been uh, in personal conversations over the weekend? Yeah, that's what it where, was. Uh, I remember. I really, really want to listen to Intellivisionaries, but most of their episodes are like five and six hours long. That's just a that's a huge time investment. And here I am listening to podcasts that are four hours long, and I'm like three, four hours long, and I like thinking. Yeah, we cut ours off at like two hours at the max usually. At the at the max, and if we have to go longer, we divide it up into two two parts, like we did with episode fifteen. Now, to be which, honest uh, with you, part of that was because I I liked to take a night off. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true too. <laughs> But yes. uh, but hey, but it was it was overall really good a really good time. We were only there Saturday, yeah. and what was interesting was that on the way out Saturday after after everything was over, we packed everything up. I think I, I actually said out loud, "I don't even want to think about video games ever again" because I was just yeah. so bur- even though I only I didn't do much gaming there, I was mm-hmm. just so burnt out on the topic. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you know, twenty four hours later, I was like, okay, now I can think about games again. When sometimes when I'm going to like underground retrocade or, or galloping ghost or something, yep. I've been there for All a while. All those times I get you've been to out. underground retrocade. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes I'll get I'll get burned out quite honestly. Oh, me uh, too. Because I've been there for a while. It's just way, way, way too much to to do, and I'm like, you're like thinking, well, what next? I mean, I got to take a break sometimes. Uh, not gonna lie, it's nothing about anything that they do at any of those places. It's about me. You know, I'm not getting any younger, and my attention span isn't anywhere near what it used to be and it was already razor thin when i was younger i didn't make it to the vendor area so i didn't really get to buy a heck of a lot which is okay because i really shouldn't be spending a lot of money but uh i did get a few things pack rat games was there i had heard of them i did but uh what, mm-hmm. they have a lot of homebrew games for various systems odyssey 2 vectrex atari a lot of stuff they sell atari age also sells the only difference is uh, uh there's a price difference and the graphics on the manual and cartridges are different but what i bought from them i bought this planet sucks which i had played before through uh, uh i downloaded the rom and i played it on my harmony cart uh when, That's a fun game when ferg was talking about the game on his podcast and mm-hmm. i really liked it I really liked it, so I I was like, you know what, I gotta get this. So, hey, it was there, so I was like, yeah, why not? And there was another game I think I had heard of, I just didn't know if it actually existed. And I am so proud to have invested my hard-earned money into it. It is a game called Explosive Diarrhea for the Atari 2600. So, you went to Midwest Gaming Classic, and you got Explosive Diarrhea. That's right. I looked at that and I said, I need explosive diarrhea. That's a phrase I don't think I have ever heard in my life. You heard it here first on Pie Factory Podcast, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're about the tinkle pits and the explosive diarrhea. Aside from meals, the only other thing that I bought at Midwest Gaming Classic was a Cubert drawing by Cubert's creator, Jeffrey Lee. Yes, I got the same one. And... I'm not going to say anything about it, but I will post a picture of it in the show notes for you all to see. That picture apparently just flew out the door. <laughs> so many people bought it. Jeff was like, yeah, I think I need to do a second printing. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> it is just awesome. I'll put a picture of a... It's not going to be a scan, though, because I don't want people pirating the picture off of... I want you to actually spend the money with Jeff. It was only five mm-hmm. bucks a pop, and he autographed it. But uh, it is a wonderful drawing of Cubert. I was so excited about. We should see if he's got an online store yeah, and link to it. Yeah, we can uh, we can uh, show notesify it. We'll have to double check that. I, he might not, but uh, 
I'm sure we could find a way to get people in touch with him to uh, to get one. Oh, and speaking of show notes, one thing I just want to interject before I forget, piefactorypodcast.com, which is the website where we have the show notes, finally has a little bit more content to it. We now have our Yay. own bios up. If you go to About Us, you can learn everything you'll ever need to know about Jimmy G and uh, and uh, Shawnee Two Times. Um, and More than you would ever care to know. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start putting up some kind of like listener poll where people can like vote on stuff. And there's one thing that I'm thinking that uh, we were talking about. We might want to uh, put out a line of t-shirts, like a mm-hmm. short run of t-shirts. We had t-shirts made up for ourselves for Midwest Gaming Classic. And people were actually asking about that. I was like, hey, how, how can I get one? So we just might do that, and I uh, just want to know like what sizes people are going to wear. It's going to be an anonymous vote. I'm not going to ask you to say, hey, my name is Bob Smith, and I'm quadruple X. I mean, I don't need you to get that personal. I just, you know. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see, we'll see what we can do. Yes, we'll see what we can do. And because um, we did have some interest in them, which quite honestly shocked me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, me too. And I'll tell you what shocked me. I shocked, it shocked me that they actually turned out pretty good. Because I didn't yeah, think, yeah, I was quite impressed with the, with the style. I them. didn't think the the graphic was high res enough for it to be decent. I mean, I didn't need it to be perfect. I just needed it to be like basically advertising for us. And and you know when I, when I uh, when I was at uh, uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, um, I had some exploits as well. Oh, I uh, I actually traded for a Sega Sports Pad, and it's so amazing. The only thing, and I traded with Tempest from Atari Age for a Sega Sports Pad for the Sega Master System, and the only thing he really wanted in return was a small piece of paper that had the number 10 on it. Huh. And, you know, I just happened to, you know, have one on me, and I'm like, well, here, I, I got the better end of the deal because I got a thing that weighs, uh, you know, a pound or two, and it's got, you know, heavy plastic. He just gets a stupid piece of paper. Have you tried it yet? It, actually, yes, I have, and it works quite oh, well. Awesome. That's, uh, that is a nice controller. Um, I haven't yet uh, tried it on my Atari 7800 with the uh, Atlantis 78. Yeah, it'll work really nice. It should work really nicely with Centipede. It, surprisingly, it doesn't work that well in MAME. It's, I mean, it works, but not really. It's not the best thing in the world to use in MAME with in or Mame. without. Yeah, I actually had. I plugged it into a, a DB9 to USB converter and tried it in MAME. Uh, it's not. Okay. The, it, 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 it 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 works in a pinch. I, want to get one um I, I don't remember the website but i know i can find it uh there's a guy that makes one it will see all of the uh the buttons on the ColecoVision, and it's been verified to work with the raspberry pi oh wow that i want that so that i can play the intellivision and ColecoVision games on my raspberry pi without having to have a keyboard attached to it because currently you need the keyboard you know, because all of the those games have the different. The, well, the controller has the, uh, the the like telephone keypad thing on them, and you kind of need some of the games need all of the buttons. Like I know War Games on the uh, ColecoVision needs them all. That's a great Missile Command uh, knockoff, but some of them will use it to select the level. But yeah, that just make everything a whole lot easier. The uh, the only problem is it's kind of a pain in the butt to uh, set up the. Uh, the, the uh, uh, controller buttons in uh, in uh, Cool CV on the Raspberry Pi. In fact, I got a question out to uh, the creator on the Atari Age forums about that. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But the uh, creator, huh? The creator, yes. If the creator wanted us to fly, he'd have given us wings. He's uh he's on Atari Age, but also there we connected with some of our good friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey Lee. Oh, I'm. So- <clears throat> Albert Einstein, uh, King Henry VIII, yeah, uh, Emperor Hirohito, 
Oog. Uh, Maury Amsterdam, too. Maury Amsterdam. I totally forgot about him. And um, he, uh, he was talking to uh, Curly Howard uh, when we were there, which was quite uh, quite fascinating, I thought. I didn't play a whole lot of games. Uh, I did play the food fight in the arcade, and it's... Every, it seems like every food fight machine that I see anymore has some sort of an issue with the with the joystick, and I imagine that that is a, a special joystick. So yeah. I imagine there's and it's, bound to be. It's got to be a that. very fragile one because I mean, at Galloping Ghost, they they have a, a good diligent staff over there, but they have 500 games, so they can't always keep everything yeah. up and running. Mm-hmm. But. So, it's kind of hit or miss with their food fight. Either it'll work awesome or the joystick won't go in certain directions. And I found the same thing is true at uh, Logan Hardware slash Logan Arcade, too. I still haven't been to Logan Arcade. I got to go there. I really do. I just I just never go to Logan Square. We need to make a trip into the city and knock out a couple of those places. Yeah, I've, I can't wait to go to the city. Oh, never mind. I'm in the city. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Us country boys out here. That's right. I think I had mentioned on this show before how I could never play Rampage World Tour because whenever I'd been to Mm -hmm. Galloping Ghost, there was always like a practically a crowd of people around that game, and I never had a chance to get it. I understand you, Jimmy G, never have that problem at Galloping Ghost. I never have that problem. But yet when I'm there, I have that problem. I've I never ever ever played it. I always wanted to play it. And I finally got a chance because uh, Brian Colin was also there, and he had a lot of his games with him, including Rampage World Tour. There was some some girl had to be somewhere between ten and thirteen years old. She was playing it, and the thing is, I was gonna wait for her to finish, but I was like, you know what? She looks really into this, so she's never gonna finish. So let me just join in. I'll just make sure I don't destroy any buildings she's oh, trying no. to destroy, you know, and all that stuff. So she was Ralph, which is my favorite character. So I played, um, so I played George. That is such a fun. Oh my god, it's fun. I thought Rampage was fun. World Tour, wow. World Tour, it like it takes everything and ramps it up, and there's it's it's a it's a much much deeper game than uh, Rampage. Yeah, it's it's more funny too. I gotta say, I think. But uh, well, they got a, they got higher resolution uh, graphics on there, so you can see a heck very, of a lot more detail than you could. It's a definitely a different hardware platform. You can tell. One thing I was gonna say: there's one game that you and me both played. Pin the tail and donkey. Well, I'm not gonna say anything more about the game, other than it's. Um, we're going to have a special episode about it in the near future. Ah, yes. So uh, just keep listening, listeners to the show and uh, visitors to our Facebook page and to our page on Atari Age probably already know what we're talking about, but I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Man, and, I um, so can't wait. Uh, we're going to be uh, going to go to Galloping Ghost to play this machine to do a little bit more in-depth analysis analysis of the game. <sighs> and uh, we're... Uh, Anal. So, yeah, we're going to be doing that in the near future. So uh, next episode, normally next to the 30th episode would be when we would do a special episode, but we're going to push our special episode back one so that we can just get our schedules together so we can get out there to, you know, to get to this machine and uh, play it a little bit more in depth than we really had the time to do at uh, at, uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic. Oh, yeah. So. That is our programming note. Ah, so that is, that is indeed our programming. That was a long programming note, wasn't it? Well, actually, just about. Uh, I was just talking about the store, but uh, or not the store. The store. I'm, I'm looking at my email right here, and it says goatstore.com, and I saw the word store. Ah, no, about our next episode. Uh, that's uh, the programming note, not the whole thing about the Midwest Gaming Classic. Oh, yeah. So, 
that's pretty much uh, pretty much it. Uh, I didn't really buy anything. Oh, yes, uh, Ben Heck had a display there. Yeah, the guy that does all of the uh, builds all the uh, the different um, consoles and like either in like condenses them down. <laughs> With the Game Boy, he did just the opposite. Instead of taking and making a handheld console out of say an Atari twenty six hundred or a PlayStation, he took the little tiny Game Boy and blew it up to about the size of a small mattress. Buttons and everything. They're, the buttons are like the size of an average dinner plate. Oh yeah. Oh gosh, that thing was so freaking sweet. We're gonna. Um, I, I got some pictures out. We'll be posting those up to the Facebook page. This thing was awesome. We should also post it um, to the Google Photos album too, just for people who are Facebook phobic. Ah uh, yes, I probably should do that. I didn't. Even, I forgot that we actually had that. To be perfectly honest. I guess that's what we uh, what we did recently. Uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. The more I think back about it, the more I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year, too. I mean, even if we don't go to represent Pie Factory podcast, I still, I personally want to go. I really do. I'd like to go and spend a couple of days there because you really could, yeah. with everything that they got going on, spend a lot of time there. When we just looked at stuff, we pretty much just zipped in and out. Um, we did get a couple of interviews. Uh, there was the one uh, we interviewed a guy, uh, what was the game? Um, but it, was a, it was like a college project. Right. And uh, you you remember the one? I can't remember the name. I know we've got the interview. We have the interview. I don't remember the exact name. I know these guys are University of Wisconsin students who started their own company base, basically based around their senior project. Mm-hmm. And it's it's basically a uh it it looks to be a one-on-one like a three-dimensional one-on-one fighter, but it's not like a Mortal Kombat kind of thing. You would compare it to the grid. It reminded me of the multiplayer portion of the uh, N64 game GoldenEye. That's kind of what it was like. It seemed like it to me. Or uh, if you go to Galloping Ghost, the uh, the game they got there called The Grid. Kind of similar to that. Yeah, no offense to those guys, but it just reminded me why I don't like new games. Oh? Yeah. Oh, well. Because it's, it's, it, w- it was one of those controllers where you had two analog joysticks you had the things in the back things on the bottom of the controller where you're yeah you, you just know. like you like things like simple you know i can i can get used to some of that stuff if i remember what everything does but and there too it is still pretty much only in alpha it, it, it's stage pre-alpha at this point. so it's pre-alpha it's, yeah, it's not so even there's alpha, still a so, lot yeah. of tweaking and stuff to be going on so you can't judge i mean i do yet. love some of the elements but they have it's in an game. interesting project it's an interesting project i think though like so. i love how one of the weapons that you have is pop-up spam oh gosh pop-up that ads. was so fun <laughs> that was so fun i hope they keep that uh, sense of humor oh, going yeah, in the uh, yeah i'm pretty sure they will because that was such a unique uh, reminded me of the uh uh there was an episode of uh the show aqua teen hunger force where they went into the internet to battle the wizard, and if you um, they had a URL that they talked about on the uh, on the episode, and if you go to that, it uh, all it does is just pops up ads that were popping up on the screen during that particular episode of the show. Uh, it's a great practical joke. Uh, I think the website's still up, but I'm not going to do it right now because we're recording. So, uh, but yeah, that was that's pretty much um, our Midwest gaming classic exploits, if you will. And um, had uh, had some fun. Uh, I got a ticket for driving in the left-hand lane on the way home. And uh, why were you driving in the left-hand lane? Because nobody was in the left-hand lane. So, but uh, that's a topic for another time. But uh, not for this show. Oh, okay. Yes, and none of our patron money is going to uh, pay that. By the way, yeah, that's we don't have I mean. enough yet. So there you go. 
So, at any rate, with that, should we uh, delve into it? Do you have more to add to that? That's my question. I am the host this time. <gasps> oh, I'm so sorry for stepping on your toes. Ow! Damn it! Mm. Uh... Yeah, get off my toes, fart knocker. But, um, any, anywho, uh, so that's, uh, just about it for our exploits at, uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Perhaps we should delve into Addenda and Errata. Oh, yes, we shall delve into Addenda and Errata. Or if you're from New Jersey, Addenda and Errata. I'm going to offend some people there. If you're from Minnesota, yeah, hey, let's uh, delve into some Addenda and Errata, yeah, hey, there. Or is that the Wisconsin? I guess that's most Wisconsin. Or if you're from ancient Rome, let's delve into some uh, additions et errors. Or if you're from Swaziland, yeah, I wouldn't know what to say. Okay, so what have we to say? Well, we do. I mean, you, you usually read most of the addenda and errata anyway. Well, yeah, it's because usually the person who is the most correct should read the corrections. So let's see. Something something worth mentioning is um, kind of addending this. Let's this is part three in the Pie Factory Coleco Chameleon series. Long story short, looks like um, the person behind the Coleco or one of the people behind the Coleco Chameleon uh, kind of poked his head into Atari Age again and uh, attempted to defend himself and make some excuses and say, "I'm sorry, yeah. everybody, mm-hmm. but this is what happened." and and um, basically, the bottom line is he made some really bad decisions if what he said is true, like things that he should have known better. And my takeaway from the whole thing was, uh, first of all, the bus that was driving by is going to have a really, really bumpy ride on the way home from all the bodies that have been tossed under it. Oh, yeah. And secondly, people were assuming he was a scammer. And if you take him for his word, what he said in the response, then he is just naive, neither of which is a trait you want in a leader of a company. No. No. So that's that was my take on the whole thing. So, yeah, that was interesting. Ooh, how how many pages is that thread now? Uh, it's 380 or something. See, when we were at Midwest Gaming Classic, we looked at it just for laughs and it was 341. It's up to 348 right now. Oh, it's not as far as I thought it was, actually. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so that that's what's going on with the Coleco Chameleon. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I have a feeling we haven't heard the last of it. No. But um, it's, um, I, I suggested that, uh, like, they do, like, the tradition that was started with the uh, 2600 Knight Rider game project ah, thread, yes. which it gets bumped uh, every New Year's Eve, and I believe also uh, on a day in May when it was originally posted, I suggested that we uh, we bump the uh, bump the Coleco Chameleon thread once a year, and the date that I th- guess is pretty much chosen is April first every year. So there yeah, we go. Yeah, but um, so that's what we had to say about that. Oh, oh, oh! And speaking of Coleco Chameleon, which apparently there was a dev version <laughs> on display yeah, at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Another mi- and they only wanted twelve thousand dollars. Oh, for really? It. Yeah, I did not see that. But um, yeah, also it- and the uh, the little sign. Should I spoil this? The little sign that they had written up in the little corner. If you look closely, it says parody. Ow. Yeah, I What's know it's not real after all. But um, speaking of Midwest Gaming Classic and all that good stuff, uh, I have to apologize to our new listeners who started listening to us after Midwest Gaming Classic because we kind of made a mistake. Um, At Mm -hmm. least one of us, possibly both of us, have been saying that Pie Factory Podcast is the first podcast to talk about Tinkle Pit. Mm Mm-hmm. 
unfortunately, that is not true. We're not even the yes. first American podcast to talk about Tinkle mm. Pit. Another podcast um, has us beaten by about five years, give or take. Yeah. But the difference is, though, unlike them, we're trying to make Tinkle Pit a household name. We're trying to bring it to the forefront of the American consciousness. Yes. And I think we're doing a fine job. But yeah, I mean, we have to uh, tip the hat over to Game Cola Podcast, who um, were the mm-hmm. first to talk about. Are Tinkle they still Pit. around? I, I, that's a darn good question. Their website still exists. Well, I got a website that I made 14 years ago that's still up. Yeah, yeah, I know, but you know, you would think that they would let the. It's, a, it's, a, it's what they call a cob website. Oh, I get, I get what you, I see what you did there. But, so uh, let me well gamecola.net. Yep, they won an award in 2009, and the page is loading and waiting, 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 processing request, and they. Well, there, there, there's a video posted there from November 20th of 2015. Return date finally set, and podcast. Let's see when their last episode of their podcast was. Gamecola now with more hiatus. <laughs> November 20th, 2015. Yeah, you're saying that was their last one. Uh, wow, that was their 90th episode. Huh. Or 90th episode part two. So uh, I haven't listened to them yet, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to check them out, see what they're up to. But uh, uh, Game Cola return date finally set, published April 1st, 2016. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we so, also got some... Uh, uh, hats off to them. We also got some addenda from, uh, from our pal Vertvik. Across the Atlantic Sea, one of the hosts of the Ten Pants Arcade. Ten Pants Arcade, ten, not Ten Pants. Ten Pants. Ten Pants. In your pants! Uh, in response to... What are they, quintuplets? In response to our uh, episode about Popeye, he sent us a couple of... I believe you, Jimmy G, had said that you would like to see some pictures of I would, Atari. Yeah, I was wondering, I was wondering what the, uh, the Atari Popeye cabinet looked like, and he tweeted us uh, some pictures of it. And uh, thank you for that. Um, that was... Quite interesting to see a Nintendo game in a non-Nintendo cabinet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, fascinating. It really is. We'll have to put that in the show notes somewhere. Um, and also, he sent us uh, a reminder that... Well, I don't know if it was so much a reminder, but he sent us a screen cap of a Popeye ramen, which the latter in the first screen in the... Um, the dock? The, in the dock stage, Yes which the ladder goes all the way down to the bottom, so you could climb both up it and down it, which I, I don't know if I ever knew that existed. I think the Atari 2600 game has that option if you flip the difficulty switch over, but I'm not 100% it, sure. It, it very well might, but I've never seen anything like that. I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to about, try about putzing around with the dip switches to see if that's something. Maybe it's the uh, the Atari version of it, too. I don't oh, know. Oh, very well could but be, I yeah. Did, I didn't know, though that Atari actually did anything with that. And um, honestly, I never even bothered checking in MAME, MAME to see if they had uh, had an Atari version of it. Yeah, that's... I'm sure I thought it was just one, uh, just one ROM. There's, if there's any... I wonder if that's a dip switch uh, setting, because sometimes the different, uh, different manufacturers yeah. are on a dip switch yeah, setting, too. It very well could be. And something I wanted to add with, to that particular um, addenda, so I'm addending the addendum, is my own research. Now, is... Isn't it wonderful how I learn all kinds of stuff about the games we talk about after we record the episode? I did a little bit further investigating and 
Popeye as a cartoon. I found some really fascinating stuff. For example, the voices of Popeye and Olive pretty much were the same person pretty much throughout most versions of the Popeye cartoon, like the AA, the Associated Artist Productions version, the King Features Syndicate version, um, except for like a couple of brief hiatuses they, when they had some other people fill in. In fact, uh, this is pretty common knowledge actually among Popeye fans, but there was a time when uh, the original voice of Popeye, he got drafted. I think he got drafted, but he, he went off to uh, fight in the war. So the woman who did the voice of Olive Oil also did the voice of Popeye for a short time till he came back from the war. So that was fascinating. But the thing that I wanted to talk about is we had emphasized how in the Popeye game, Popeye's nemesis is Brutus. And Mm -hmm. there's a link in the show notes to an article explaining why it's Brutus. Long story short is that King Features Syndicate uh, did not think they had the rights to the character Bluto. They actually did. They just didn't think they did for God knows what reason. And Something that I really found fascinating, and I never really noticed this before, Bluto and Brutus are different characters altogether. It's not that they renamed Bluto Brutus. It's a completely different character. They both have similar features, but here's the thing. Bluto was a sailor, just like Popeye. And Mm -hmm. he was... He was, wasn't he? Yeah, he he was. And he was huge, and it was muscle-huge. Muscle-huge. And also, if I recall correctly, Olive liked both Popeye and Bluto. She she liked them both, and they were always fighting over her. I don't believe Olive actually had any particular feelings for Brutus, though. But he was just kind of getting in the way of things. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about Brutus is that he's huge, but it's not muscle huge. It's fat huge. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Big, big, large, huge. Exactly. Not to be confused with Big Stupid. Big Stupid to the so, rescue. Yeah, that was just fascinating. Bluto and Brutus, different characters altogether. Hmm. We have some errata for uh, the Tron and Satan's Hollow mm-hmm. episode. Uh, I'll start off with uh, Chris Plus Plus, our friend from Atari Age and the author of the Classic Gaming Bookcast, which you should read. It's only a buck. Under penalty of death. Uh, a couple of possible addenda regarding Satan's Hollow. The gargoyles, etc., can steal one of your remaining cannons from the lower left corner. If you blast... And I thought we had talked about that, actually. Maybe not. I thought we had, though. If you blast the kidnapper before he ascends too far, you'll save your own upcoming life, as it were. Mm-hmm. The devilish enemy spouting columns of fire on the first screen changes his visage twice. Or might simply be one of the normal enemies who keeps changing masks. I guess it depends on one's imagination. In any case, the names Beelzebub, Old Nick, and Lucifer belong to these successive adversaries. It's a very blatant risk versus reward prospect. If you wait out a couple of fire vomits, the face gets larger and grows more facial hair. Then if you survive one more spout of flame, the face changes to look like that of a red fox, not to be confused with Sanford. Each of these visi- visi- each of these visages is worth more than the last. I did not know that. I'll have to check that out because that's that's fascinating. If that's uh, if that's the case, that uh, gives a whole new strategy to the game, or a whole well, not a whole well, yeah, a whole new one. Yeah. Oh shoot! It looks like you wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Uh oh. But uh, I the thing is, like, even after reading that, I still don't quite. It's. I'm still confused as to like what's like who's what, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, yeah, because it's, it's, it's not because I'm, I'm it's it might be because I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you played it anymore? Not since. No, I haven't played it since. But uh, we have a errata slash general feedback from our friend Mike, da- Mike, Mike D'Angelo. Um, this is regarding Tron. Hey guys, just a mm-hmm. bit of errata for your next episode. Jeff Daniels, although a fine actor, was not in Tron. Mm-hmm. That would be Jeff the Dude Bridges. Yeah, and I, you know what, and I knew that, but for whatever reason, I said Jeff Daniels, and no, I hadn't seen Dumb and Dumber recently either. Uh, so I have no excuse for having said Jeff Daniels. So I was right. I only recently saw The Big Lebowski. Yeah, I saw it within the last year myself. I think I saw it when I was out on disability, and it's a decent oh, yeah, movie. Yeah, I have um, no regrets. I can see why it has a cult following. Not one of my favorites, but I won't turn. I won't turn the channel if it's oh, on. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, anyway, he continues, and this is the feedback portion of uh, his uh, email to us. So I was in Chicago for the first time a few weeks ago on a business trip. Hey, I was in Chicago a few weeks ago too, uh, on business, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> I was really hoping I would have some free time to check out Galloping Ghost, which was about 20 miles from where I was staying, or about a 90-minute car drive in Chicago. Wait, no kidding. isn't he from New Jersey? If you're from, Dude, I lived in New Jersey for eight years. Chicago ain't got nothing on traffic in New Jersey. Nothing. But uh, anyway, but unfortunately, the only free time I had was spent with colleagues to go see some reflective bean, which was cool. Don't get me wrong. Bean, of course, being that giant like glass bean looking thing. Cloudgate. Whose real name is Cloudgate indeed. Anyway, he goes on to say, hopefully I'll get the chance to go out again soon. Heard you mention King's X. Definitely try to Mm. see them in concert. I've seen them a few times here in New Jersey over the years, and they've never disappointed. Uh, I hear they put on a pretty pretty mean uh, stage show. Well, not stage show, but uh, concert. Well, your problem is you weren't in New Jersey, or else you probably could have seen them. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, as always, enjoying the podcast. Oh, uh, I guess he's, he likes torture. I don't know. <laughs> but hope to get my arcade memories to you soon. Take care, Mike. Or, is he, or did he mean take care, Mike? Take care, Mike. The, hey, we're going to take care of Mike. The, com- the comma can mean either one, really. Hey, we're going to take care of Mike for you. Just let us know when we'll, we'll base his head in and break his leaks for you. There you go. That's the way they, they do things in Chicago and they're joisy. But thank you for the uh, thank you for the uh, feedback, Adenda and Irata. All yeah, thank um, you all. Is that it for all the Adenda and Irata? That's it for the Adenda and Irata. But speaking more. of thank you, there are other people I do want to thank. Uh, of course, you know, thanks again to the folks at Underground Retrocade, uh, Scott Lambert, of course, for uh, you mm-hmm. know putting up with us at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. I really did feel we were imposing, but uh, I also want to uh, send out a thanks to uh, Ryan S1500. Mm-hmm. I, I brought a TV set slash monitor so that uh, I could have our website up at, at the table and so people could navigate it. Um, I realized I had left my HDMI cable at home and he was able to provide one for us. So thank you for uh, saving us there. And I realized I had forgotten to bring a mouse so people could navigate our webpage. Thanks to Tim Vermeulen, or if you're our friend Duke, Tim Vermillion, for, um, <laughs> he's going to kill me. <laughs> uh, thanks for lending us the, for, for lending us a mouse during the show. And um, just as I uh, was warned, nobody actually browsed our website. <laughs> they just looked at the table, grabbed some uh, you know, free stuff. Sean did not have a mouse in his pocket, and nobody was glad to see him. No, that's usually the way things are. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank you to everybody. And um, yes, thank you. 
Um, there's one thing I do want to talk about that we've been kind of putting off for a while, and I apologize to all involved. Uh, we have been asking people to send in like their uh, memories and such about playing arcade games and all that good stuff. And people have been responding. We just haven't been on the ball. And I kind of want to start making up for that right now. Uh, we heard from Chris plus plus earlier in the show. Let's hear from him one more time. Uh, Mr. Federico says, and I quote, I played elevator action a couple of times in the 1980s and even saw other kids playing it on Starcade, but I had yet to realize how much fun it can be after sufficient practice. In 95, I was surprised to discover a modest game room on the lowest level of the student union building, meaning place with food, at the University <laughs> of New Mexico. Over the following few months, I gratefully divested myself of many otherwise useless quarters, thanks to Tron, Quantum, and most habitually, Elevator Action, whose merits I recognized at last. College was clearly doing me some good. One thing that stands out in my memory is that I was always alone in that game room. This revealed the indefensibly poor taste of my colleagues. To this day, I fire up the game every so often, Mame rules. As a gunman who's chosen to dispense with all of that underhanded, um, I'm doing finger quotes here, spying nonsense, one's goal in each building is simply to make his way from the roof to the underground parking garage, pocketing all the important documents along the way by visiting the red-doored rooms. Oh, that should have been the name of our podcast. Oh, well, too late for that now. <laughs> it was awfully kind of the enemy to paint them so conspicuously, wasn't it? The apparent simplicity of the game is deceptive, as your possible routes, or as they say in New Jersey, roots, and moment-by-moment -moment actions vary widely. I'm partial to the sort of game in which the player is free to succeed with his own distinctive, nuanced playing style, rather than finding himself forced along a rigid course, or being called upon to connect the dots, as it were. In spite of the strangely abundant elevators in these buildings, one doesn't feel all that confined. This is a great game, it feels good to play, the controller-to-movement balance has been struck impeccably, and all of the elements have been optimally fine-tuned. You can move, hop, duck, and fire in any combination you can think of, and this isn't true in far too many games. In this one, some of your enemies even learn that complex battle strat. Some of your enemies even learn that complex battle strategy. Jumping. Mm. Thanks as always for the superb podcast, Chris Plus Plus. And he when he says when he's thanking us for the superb podcast, which podcast is he talking about? Because it's certainly not ours. I love that feedback quite simply because the way he wrote it, this is exactly the kind of writing that's in the classic gaming book cast, you know, uh, very good diction in there and very witty, very snarky in a way. So but anyway, if you think me and Sean are uh, grammar Nazis, so to speak, you have not met Chris. <laughs> well, just the fact that you said me and Sean. There you go. But yeah, very interesting insight in Elevator Action. Man, I wish we would have read this sooner. I really do. But, uh, hey, that's what happens when you're busy forgetting things. So, anyway, that's uh, all. Alrighty. Right, so, that's our um, arcade memories. And man, yeah, I, th I see. Now, I'm th now I think about it, I think that the equivalent place where I went to college, primarily, there was a police force pinball machine. I remember playing the hell out of that. And I didn't think they had any video games, but, yeah, they definitely had Revolution X, and I think they had Arch Rivals, too, which I can't wait to talk about, by the way. Did they have anything like that over at Olivet? They had, at Olivet, they had uh, the Red Room. Red Room! 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 Red Room!
not the red rum, but the red room, which was kind of our student union thing. They had those snacks there. You could buy uh, pizza and stuff. And they had a little game room that had pinball machines. And that's where I fell in love with the Star Trek Next Generation pinball, which I haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, I don't think I saw it at uh, the MGC, but I didn't really get a chance to browse much of the pinballs they had. I guess right after I graduated, they renovated the whole thing. And uh, the... The uh, red room was no longer the red room because they took all the red out, from what I understand. They, they, they did, like, painted the walls with, like, Visine or something. Oh, so. by the way, they have the Star Trek The Next Generation pinball machine across the street from Galloping Ghost at Brixie's. Really? Yeah, where we went uh, that one night with uh, Chris Teeter and Duke and a couple other people and had a couple of drinks. No kidding. No kidding. And they also have it at, Lo- uh, they also have it at Logan Arcade. Which I've yet to get to. Yep, me too. I've been to Logan Hardware, but not their new barcade. Well, that is my new goal. Yeah, so anywho, um, how about we talk about a couple of games there, shall we? How about we do that? About what game should we talk? Hmm? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm in the mood to talk about something that starts with a G. Okay. And ends with uh, a letter. Uh, Galaga. 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 It's Galaga. You know it's Galaga. It's not Galaga. The game which shall not be named. Uh, yeah, because, like, Jim doesn't like to pronounce it right. Actually, I'm the only one that pronounces it right. Uh, Truth be told, as we've said, though, we've heard many, many differing stories about how you're supposed to pronounce the name of this game. We'll just use the, the term that we're most comfortable with. We're talking about, of course, timey, uh, Galaga. 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 So, Galaga. Uh, Galaga. Ah, Galaga. Ah. Galaga. Let me scroll up to my notes. Here we go. All right. It's uh, quite simply the sequel to Galaxian. And, uh, well, that's a sequel no. to Galaxian. Um, it has similar mechanics uh, to Galaxian with uh, a lot of enhancements. You're shooting down aliens that dive bomb you. The enhancements are, first of all, instead of one bullet on the screen at a time, you have two. It's unlike its prequel, the enemy ships don't appear on the screen right away. They fly into formation off of the sides of the screen. Then what happens there is there's bonus rounds. Uh, The first one is after the second full wave, and then it's every third wave thereafter. If you could get them all, you get a bonus of, I believe, there's 40 aliens you have to shoot down in the bonus round. I believe you get 10,000 points. Uh, otherwise, I believe it's uh, 100 points for each alien you shoot. The, uh... I didn't order uh, I ordered large fries, pie, large coffee. There's a power-up in the game, uh, so to speak. And it is the double ship. Well, how do you get the double ship? I'm glad you asked. The double ship you get when one of the boss aliens uh, come from the top of the screen. There's generally, I think there's two of them on the screen at a time. And they will swoop down and they will let out a tractor beam. Unlike all of the other aliens, which will pretty much shoot you. These guys can shoot you too, but this is the only one that has a tractor beam. And it will capture your ship and pull it up to the top of the screen with it. If it's your last life, your game's over. But if not, you can wait for that ship to come down and shoot it. Once you've shot it after it's dive-bombed you, the other ship will join your first ship. And then you will have double firepower. However, you're also twice as big a target. If you get one of those ships destroyed, then you've lost that ship, regardless of what you have in reserve. Comes in real, real, real handy during the bonus rounds, might I say. 
I believe that is the basics of the game. It's not really a complex game uh, at all. It's got just enough twists to keep it fresh, to keep it different. They're not really spaceships in this game. They're more like bugs. Uh, first of all, I made mention of the boss. There's only a couple of those per screen. It takes two shots to destroy a boss. Uh, first time, when they come onto the screen, they're, I believe they're gray and yellow. You shoot it and then they turn blue and you shoot it again and they disappear. I do neglect to mention a couple of things about the about the double ship procedure. First of all, if you destroy the boss Galaga, Galaga. Uh, at the top of the screen while he's still holding your ship, that ship will come down and dive bomb you. You will get dive bombed by your own ship, and it will go off the screen, and you won't see it again the rest of the of the round. It will come in the next round, being carried by one of the bosses, and you do have a chance to win it to get it back again. So you don't lose it in that case. However, if you can accidentally shoot your own ship, and if you do that, you know, tough luck. I mean, that's, you know, that's the way it is. Nothing will ever change. There used to be rumors quite a bit that you could get a, a triple shot in this game. Uh, those are just rumors. You cannot do that at all. Yeah, I believe Joystick tried to put that rumor to rest. Yeah. The other enemies... Um, you have bees, which are the color blue and yellow. And I did not know this that this other one had a name. I thought they were just bees as well, but they're called butterfly. And those are colored red, white, and blue. Now, the butterflies can transform into ships that look like scorpions. Um, spy ships from the game Bosconian. And Galaxian flagships from the game Galaxian. Now, when they do transform, they could turn into three of the aliens. And then you get some special bonus points when you destroy those, which we will talk about later. There is also, I think, just in the bonus round, uh, after a while, aliens that look like the Starship Enterprise <laughs> that you get to shoot down and destroy. I have never seen those, which shows you my skills at this game. This game does have a kill screen. Do tell. And in my research, it depends on the difficulty setting of the game as to how the kill screen affects the game. If you pass stage 255, the counter for the level warps to zero and causes behavior when stage zero is played. If you have it set to easy skill level, the game resets. The, I'm assuming the, it resets the machine. Uh, not the machine, but, you know, ends your game and whatever. On the medium skill, as a cross between the second challenge stage and a regular level where the enemies shoot, and on the hard skill level, the words stage zero will stay on the, green, on the screen and no more enemies ever appear. On the hardest skill... It plays like stage one, but it's still as difficult as stage 255. Um, the, when it says it plays like the stage, what it means is the the pattern in which the uh, the aliens fly onto the screen for the first time. And um, I believe that's really all I have to say about this game for now. What have ye to say about it? Now, one thing that I... I'm surprised I didn't hear you mention was what happens if you just dodge the enemies for 15 minutes? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Leave... And this was made popular in the movie uh, War Games, actually. They actually demonstrated it in the film. And they actually explained why it works in the film, if you can believe that. If you leave one or two enemies from the left-hand side of when the you know formation of the enemies finally appears, and um, you just let those two keep dive-bombing you for 15 to... Uh, I heard anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes. It depends on, I guess, the machine and if you leave one or two of the uh, the aliens there. Eventually, you can get it to where... The aliens never fire back at you ever again. I want to think that they did fix this in later revisions of the ROM. I'm not 100% certain. I do know that there was also a bug in the ROM which uh, allowed you to 
shoot aliens in the uh, attract mode. I'd have to take a look at that, but... Um, bingo card. Bingo card. But yes, uh, in fact, I've wanted to try the uh, the fifteen twenty shot thing, but uh, the fifteen twenty shot, fifteen twenty minute, uh, and no shot thing. But uh, I've just never, I've never been able to really do that because I just kind of tune out, and then I eventually make some stupid mistake, and I die. I would run out of patience, quite frankly. Yeah, it's 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 really kind of not worth it to me because it would be like, okay, you do that, you're you're doing something boring for fifteen to twenty minutes to do something that's boring for several hours. Exactly. If without him shooting back, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess they could still dive bomb yeah. you and you could still crash into them, but I would think that wouldn't be anywhere that's near That's usually how I die when I, play Ga- when I play Galaga, actually. So not only was said game in war games, but uh, MGM actually sent a Galaga machine to Matthew Broderick so he could practice it. And he practiced oh. for two months, two months, two months. Oh, really? So um, truth be told, I have not much to say about this game because there's really, as far as I'm concerned, there's not much to it. Basically, if it moves, you shoot it unless you want to catch it. For the know, most part. There's, that's all there is to it. Well, that's not really even good advice because A, you can't shoot the, uh, the missiles and B, you don't want to shoot your ship if it gets captured. Well, of course not. Yeah. But I love how that is the what people make a big deal. They're like, oh, but you can capture your own ship and have two ships fighting for you. Ooh. Well, well yeah. you really want to want to know about power-ups? <laughs> Wait till we get to the next game. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember what the next game is. But uh, Oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 never mind. But uh, mm-hmm. that, that wait, what, however many minutes it is before they stop firing trick, I don't believe that is allowed in competitive gameplay. I would think it wouldn't be because that would be that would just make the game way too easy. Not for me, but well, but for a seasoned veteran player, yeah, it would definitely make it way too easy. Yeah, and uh, hey, so speaking and, of competitive gameplay, might as well talk about it. So, well, first of all, don't you have any? Do you have any information about uh, the points that you can get in the game? Well, you covered a little bit of it, but I didn't tell how many points you get for shooting things. Well, no. Uh, of course, you have bees and butterflies and boss, um, um, boss, um, boss Galaga. Screw it, boss Galaga. Which, if you hey, shoot, say it like you say it like you want. I'm not going to judge boss anymore. Galaga, I'm not going to judge any less. Galaga, either. yeah. But uh, yeah, for bees, butterflies, and boss Galagas, if they're in formation, you get fifty, eighty, and one hundred and fifty points respectively. If they're diving, you get 100 points for a bee, 160 points for a butterfly, and the boss, well, is Bruce Springsteen. Got a lot of New Jersey talk today. But if you shoot the (laughs) boss while the boss is diving, you get 400 points if the boss is by itself. And for each additional thing that is with the boss, the score doubles. Like if there's another thing with the boss, you get 800. And if there are two other things, that's 1,600. And um, if you shoot your captured fighter, that's 1,000 points. And in the challenging stages, by the way, I'm glad they corrected the spelling of challenging for this game. Because if you remember Rally X, they called it the challenging stage. Here they call it the challenging stage. <laughs> Um, in the first and second, you get a thousand points if you get a whole group of fighters, which I've actually finally done for the first time this morning. 
in the third and fourth challenging stages, it's 1,500 if you get a whole group. Fifth and sixth, it's 2,000 for a whole group. And anything after the sixth challenging stage, it's 3,000 if you get the whole group. The transforms are 160 points individually. Um, Scorpions are 1,000 points. Bosconian ships are 2,000 points. And Galaxian flagships, which make an appearance in a lot of Namco games, actually, those are 3,000 points. I'm wondering, you just brought up that the Galaxian flagship appears in a lot of Namco games. I can't think of a Namco game that it doesn't appear That's in. Right. It's, even, it's in Dig Dug, I think. I think it's in Dig Dug. It's definitely in all of the Pac-Man it, games. It's is not it in Ms. Pac-Man. Well, but it, Ms. Pac-Man is not, not technically game. That's not technically but I don't Namco. remember seeing... I think it's in Super Pac-Man. Yes, it is. It is in Super Pac-Man. It I is indeed. Think, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is in all the official Namco Pac-Man games. What I want to know, the Bosconian ship. So I am... I have... I think it's even in Xevious. I have zero familiarity with Bosconian. Now, is Bosconian, like, kind of part of the Galaxian no. saga? Okay. No, it's a, it's a different style game. Um, load up the ROM or get the, uh, there is a, pro, there is not a prototype, there is a, a homebrew uh, version of Bosconian for the 2600 that's pretty good. It's a, it's a totally different kind of beast. It's, uh, it's closer to Time Pilot, I would say. Or I could just go to Galloping Ghost, I know they have it there. Yeah, we should, I should play that. I haven't played that in the arcade in a while. That's a fun game. But, um, anyway, so... If you do enough of that, you might find yourself on uh, one of the competitive gaming records, such as Arcade.com, for example. Now, both Arcade.com and Twin Galaxies have several tracks, because there are so many variations of this game, really, and settings. Now, there are two different marathon settings that Arcade tracks, one they call Difficulty A and one they call Difficulty B. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those world records on Arcade are held by Stephen Krogman, both were performed on May 9th. The difference is the difficulty A was performed in 2000, difficulty B was performed in 1999, and both were during Fun Spot tournaments. Difficulty A, he got 11,849,370. Difficulty B, he got 7,341,720. There's a points track that limits you to five ships. Joseph Piscitelli performed that December 19th, 2015. At Galloping Ghost, and he got 2,331,990. And there's a, what they call tournament settings, which I believe means uh, no bonus lives or anything. It's spelled M-I-C-H-I-A-L. I I don't know if that's supposed to be Michael or what. Or Hmm. Mikiel Thompson performed June 6, 2012 during the 14th annual Classic Championships at Fun Spot. And um, this person scored a million two hundred and fifty thousand eight hundred and forty points. And there's a rapid fire track as well. I believe that that means that there's like a hacked version out there or a hacked ROM. So I guess kind of in the same lines as the uh, turbo versions of Ms. Junior and regular Pac-Man. Basically, I think the enemies fire at you like much faster or something. December 10th, 2010, during first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon, that person's name is uh, John E. Klinkle, performed December 10th, 2010. He scored 3,210,590, and Twin Galaxies also reflects that, except they verified it the next day. And moving on to the folks at Twin Galaxies, 
Uh, we see Stephen Krogman's name again. Marathon Settings Factory defaults three lives with extra ships at 20,000, 70,000, and then every 70,000 after that. I think after you reach a million points, by the way, the game stops giving you um, extra lives. Um, but Stephen Krogman, um, verified June 1st, 1989, 15,999,990. Wow. Tournament settings, no extra ships, no use of, uh, well, all these tracks are no use of enemy fire running out. Uh, Andrew B. Laidlaw, verified January 1st, 2011, 4,525,150. And Twin Galaxies also has a track for no double ship, meaning that uh, you cannot catch your own fighter. Has no scores there. Hmm. Hmm. Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? I think so, Brain. But where am I going to find a deck and a hose at this hour? Hmm. What's my strategy for Twin Galaxies World Records? Number one, pick obscure games. Always find a game that nobody else has has competed in. Yep. Truth be told, both Twin Galaxies records I have, there were other people on the on the leaderboard. But uh, anyway, so those ah. are the high scores. Yeah, those are the high scores. So, Jimmy G, uh, do you remember the first time you played um, the first Galaxian yes. sequel? Yes, I remember the first time I... Well, actually, I don't remember the first time I played this because this game is pretty ubiquitous. I want to think it was at the uh, Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. But that's about all I can remember. I remember I got to be halfway decent. I could get like 10 levels in, but that would be about it. Don't remember my high score, as per usual. And um, I'm okay at this game. We didn't talk about ports on this game yet. Right. And Which is the thing that really kind of is curious about this is when it comes to ports, this is one of the most successful arcade games of all time. As I said earlier, I mean, it took the Galaxian formula and it added a lot of things to it to make it the same game, but also a fresh experience. And surprisingly, it wasn't really ported very widely. I found that very curious. Yeah, that, that's really curious. Now, given the uh, the things that this game does, obviously a Atari 2600 port back then was out of the question. It did get ported to the Atari 7800. And the NES. And that's it for the classic era consoles. It got ported in many different collections and whatever for sure. uh, others. And it was on the Game Boy, and they had a separate version for the Game Boy Color. I found this curious, and I knew about this because I actually have one of these. There's a port of this game for the Roku box. Really? Uh, yeah, and I believe it costs a dollar. I have a Roku box. I have not played this. I'm kind of curious how the uh, controller works with this thing because, uh, well, I just am. But yeah, there was a Roku box port of this game, which I thought very interesting. Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's outside of like compilations. The 7800 and the NES, I guess you could count the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Classic systems, the only classic systems they were on. It wasn't on the Intellivision. I'm sure the ColecoVision could have handled it. Uh, oh, 5, easily. 200, I think, could have handled it. But where was it? Now, not to say there weren't homebrew efforts oh, yeah. on this. Uh, there's one on the... Not the Sega Master System, but the SG-1000, which is kind of like the precursor to it, which, uh, let's be honest, it was an early attempt, and it was not that great. But uh, So, yeah, there have been a few of those, but only those few official ports, which is, as you said, very curious. It, it, it makes you wonder. Maybe it was too technical of a game for those systems? I don't know. I, don't know. I have to say this. The Atari 7800 port gets really dogged on a lot 
uh, by people because they don't like the speed or the difficulty or this, that, or the other. I think it plays plays just fine. Oh, yeah, me personally. too. Me too. I think it's I mean, a good no, port. it's not arcade perfect. But I think it plays just fine. I mean, it's it's it, I think it's a respectable port, and I don't. And could they have done a better job? Yeah, sure, they could have. But it, it's I I think it's fine. I think it's a it's a great home port of the game. I've not played the NES version. Um, I played it. It's very clo- from what I can tell. It's very close to the arcade version. Really? Yeah. Uh, I was going to mention that the NES version actually has a subtitle: uh, Galaga, Demons of Death. Take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, what's that put out by? Ultra Games. I don't know. I know Qbert was, and I know um, it, it might Gyrus have been. was. It might have been, now that I think about it. I think you're right. And uh, you know what? Let's talk sequels. Um, oh, man. Do we, we have to do another show about that. Yeah. I mean, Just this, about the, the two sequels. games we're talking about tonight, the whole sequel thing is so totally weird. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Um, obviously, we talked about the prequel to this game, the original Galaxian. It was followed by Gaplus. That's the first sequel to Galaga, the third Galaxian sequel. Then Galaga 88, which is the... I'm sorry, Gaplus would be the second Galaxian sequel. Galaga 88 would be the third Galaxian sequel. And then it was followed by Galaxian 3. I don't know if that actually is Galaxian cubed, but there's that's, a number that's what three. It is. That's exactly what it is. It is cubed. Is it Galaxian cubed? Yes. Okay, but when you look at it, you're, you're thinking Galaxian 3 because there was the movie Alien 3, and the th- number 3 was written exactly like it is in this game. And it just confused the heck out of people. Then there was a curious one here I've never seen, but I guess it's a, a direct sequel to Galaxian 3 called Attack of the Zolgear, which I know nothing about that one. And then a few years later... Uh, Namco put out in the arcade uh, an arrangement series of arcade games. Uh, each one of the cabinets had like three different games, and you had the original game, and then you had the arrangement. And the arrangement was the original game with different additions graphically and uh, to the basic gameplay, which I've not played that one. I should try that. Backtracking to Attack of the Zolgear, mm-hmm. according to Orcade.com, there is one copy known. I mean, this is only from people who registered it, mind you. There might be more. But there is a certain arcade in New Hampshire that has this called Fun World. Aha. Uh, Galaxian 3 was actually kind of like a theater-type game. It was a rail shooter. It had really nothing to do with the same gameplay style as it's uh, as the games before it. And I understand that Attack of the Zolgear is kind of a similar thing. Oh, you know what? I think I know why it's called Galaxian 3 now, because I think three people can play the game at the same time. I believe that is correct. And I know I saw it... Uh, Galaxian 3 at um, Gameworks in Schaumburg, Illinois, right next to the uh, the Lego uh, Lego Discovery Center, which was a big disappointment when I went there. But as much as I love Legos, but um, but uh, so I have seen the game. I didn't play it because I just didn't feel like spending like two three bucks to play it. So Ugh. yeah, I, it might not have been that expensive, but it was still pretty dang expensive, and I wasn't about to do it. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much all of the arcade sequels. When you go get into home ports oh, or home sequels, it. it gets even more confusing. But not as confusing as the game we're going to be talking about next. Yeah, before right, we do right. that, we should uh, go ahead. We should and talk we, about my you know what, experiences. We should talk about your experiences. Yes. Exactly. Which because we didn't, isn't didn't we? all that much. I mean, partly because this game was, as you said, so ubiquitous. When I was a little kid in the arcades, I had a dollar allowance. I just didn't see the use of 
of playing Galaga. I, I just playing, I, I never liked it. And to tell you the truth to this day, I don't like it because I find it boring. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. You shoot any creature that moves big effing deal. There's no point to it. At least space invaders, which obviously this is kind of, well, these are all spiritual, you know, oh, yeah. well, not sequels, but they're, they're all updates yeah. of the basic space invaders formula. But at least space invaders had a point to it. You have to shoot all these invaders down before they actually land on earth. And if they do, the game is over here. It's just eh, shoot them before they shoot you or before they collide into you. Mm-hmm. And I just never found that interesting. But, but yeah, you know, why is it so freaking popular? It's so po- it's even in that uh, class of eighty one reunion cabinet. Mm-hmm, it, it is with uh, Ms. Pac Man, or is it with Pac Man? It's Ms. Pac Man, and as an Easter egg, Pac Man. Oh, Pac Man is, and it's also right. I believe it's also in the Pac Man twenty fifth anniversary cabinet too. We talked a while back about Rayleigh X and how I thought Rayleigh X was what I called a, a laundromat, uh, laundromat game. game because that's pretty much the only place you would see it. This game is an everywhere game. I've seen it in the, the vestibules of department stores or discount stores. I've seen it in laundromats. I've seen it in arcades. I've seen it in truck yeah. stops. I've seen it in gas stations. I've seen it at 7-Eleven. I've seen this game everywhere. It's it's ubiquitous. The, the Class of 81 reunion game is just down the street from me at a Euro place. It's like the Starbucks of the arcade world. That's a good way to look at it, too. But it was massive, <laughs> and it was massively successful, too. Well, oh, let me tell you where else I've seen this thing. And this, you know, I, I don't remember where I first played it, I, but I can remember certain things about it in public. Those of you who aren't familiar with downtown Chicago, in the western portion of downtown Chicago, there's a massively huge building called the Merchandise Mart, built by Marshall Field. and. Uh, yes. uh, that place was so big that it had its own zip code. Now the zip code that it has also expands out to River North. Like where I work right now, it actually has that same zip code. If I'm not mistaken, at one time it was the largest building in the world when it comes to floor space. Yep, yep, it definitely was. But right now what they have, I think it's on the 12th floor, they have a workspace that they call 1871. 1871 being named after the year of the Chicago Fire uh, mm-hmm. burned down mo- a good chunk of the city. So they called it 1871 because, hey, this is where you can start fresh. What it is, it's a tech space for startup companies. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, people who are starting up their own tech businesses, they actually have their offices in 1871. Oh, 1871 neat. has a Galaga machine. Oh, wow. I went there for some kind of a gathering about a year ago. And a there thing, it was, right in, the middle, right in the middle of their meeting space. So I saw wow. it there, and I remember uh, the T20 tournament last year at Galloping Ghost. Walter Day spent a lot of time playing Galaga that night. Wow. He was on that thing for quite a long time. I've always been curious about uh, what he plays and what game season he enjoys. Those are my memories of Galaga, and I'm not going to call it anything but Galaga. I'm going to just call Galaga what I've always called it, and, you know, every the thing is is that pronounce it how you want. Even though King Henry VIII about. says it's Galaga, and he worked for Midway. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, everybody knows what game you're talking about. There's no sense in splitting hairs about it. Everybody's got their way to pronounce it. There's really been, as far as we can tell, no real official call on it. So call it what you want. We know what game you're talking about. So, anyway. Um, At any rate. Jimmy G., what mm. do you rate? How many continues do you rate um, the the first Galaxian sequel? Well, as you may know from the Ms. Pac-Man episode, 
I do have a bit of an aversion to games that you just find just about anywhere. The more ubiquitous the game, and just for no other reason than uh, it kind of makes you wonder why people aren't really burned out on it. But that having been said, I mean, it knocks the score for me down one, uh, which would uh, give this to, to me, I would give this a four continues. It's one of the first games I ever really got good at. Really? Um, yeah, and uh, I was getting some pretty good scores way early playing this thing. The double ship thing really makes you go further into the game, and um, if you do that correctly, I mean, you're uh, you can you can get some pretty good scores on there. And one thing about this game is the skills that you develop with this game. To me, I would say easily translate to Gyrus, and I don't think I would be half as good at Gyrus as I am now, if I hadn't spent all the time playing this game. So, I, I have to give this game a four. It's, uh, yeah, I don't like the ubiquity of it these days, but uh, it's still a fun game. I'll still play it from time to time. I don't play it as much as I used to, but, you know, it's uh, it's just a good, solid shooter, and I can understand why it's so popular. And I had, to, while you were talking, I looked up my score on Orcade.com, and I was actually shocked. It says here 31,370. Uh, oh, wow. performed January 24th, 2015 underground retrocade. I don't know. I'm really doubting that. I don't remember ever getting that high on this game. You know, I want to think I actually hit 80,000 once. And something I'm looking at here is on arcade.com for gap plus, it says gap plus slash Galaga three. So, Hmm. So wait, Galaga three. Yeah. Which I, th- <laughs> what is it with these damn games and, I know. and movies and stuff with these dang stupid sequel names? I know, I know, but... Um, it's confusing, and I'm already confused the way it is. As for my rating, and I I know that people are going to just... Good thing that... Lambast you? If I'm lucky, they'll lambast me. They'll they'll castigate me, um, hopefully with some anesthetic at least. They- but I'm giving Galaga two continues. Two continues. I could see that. I saw that coming because you don't sound very, very enthusiastic about this game. I don't like this game. I don't see why it's such a big honking deal. And I'll tell you the truth. The only reason I'm giving it more than one continue is that I love the intro music. It does have some pretty nice uh, intro music. It, it sounds exciting. It sounds kind of Star Warsy. It's like, ooh, here's some excitement. Oh, here, shoot these things. Pew, pew, pew. And a lot of the sound pew, effects pew. sounds like sound like they're just modified Pac-Man sound effects. Well, I mean, all of those games... Which they very well might well, be. Well, not so much, not Pac-Man, but, I mean, it's pretty much got the same sound as Galaxian and Rally-X and all the others. I mean, it's got the really nice, deep, bass explosions that I love, uh, that I love so much. The explosions are great. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I'd put this up almost as, as much as I love the explosions in Rally-X. But that doesn't shock me about your score. I mean, every hey, everybody's got an opinion, and uh, you know, I pronounce it correctly. I give it a higher score. So I, I think that just really pretty much goes with the territory. Uh. No, no, no. Call it, like I said, call it whatever you want. We all, as long as it's close to it, we know exactly the game you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much it for this game. You know what? Perhaps we should move on and talk about another game. Hmm. So, yeah, why don't we move on to another game? What do you think we should move on to? Well, uh, the game that we're going to hear a bunch of people say right now. Gradius. Gradius? Gradius? Gradius. 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 Ah, see, I don't know now. This is like half and half. 
Sometimes I say Gradius, sometimes I say Gradius, sometimes yeah. I even say Gradius. Nemesis! Or perhaps Nemesis. Yes, ah, Nemesis. let's talk about Nemesis. Actually, let's talk about Gradius. Ah, uh, Gradius. Yeah, See what yeah, I did? They're all silent. That's why you pronounce it Nemesis, because all the letters are silent. Anemesis. Uh, ah, uh, Gradius. Uh, year 1985. Gradius Konami game. Uh, it is a side-scrolling shooter uh, in the same vein as games such as Scramble, and the object is to basically shoot everything that you can shoot and uh, destroy the enemy brain. Yes. Which is in the last level. Now, Gradius is apparently... This is interesting. Um, in Gradius, you pilot your ship, the Vic Viper, which is uh, kind of going to be my uh, my lounge singing name. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't that the host of um, Tenpence? Vic Viper. Oh, you know what? I think it is. Vic Viper. I, I think so. V I think it's Vic Viper. So uh, you're piloting your Vic Viper through uh, seven, count them, seven different stages. Uh, first uh, is a... Four, six, eleven, <laughs> teen, two, seven. There. Seven, seven, wonderful stage. Ah, ah, ah. So the first one is called the Volcano Stage, and uh, basically you're piloting your ship through a cave. Almost every stage starts with a short space sequence, then the main part of the stage, then your boss. Uh, there is good, there is one exception to this, this rule, but otherwise they are all the same, and we'll get to that in a moment. You have uh, the control panel. You have a joystick and three buttons. You have Your joystick, I believe, is an eight-way. Uh, you have a bomb button and you have a shoot button. I don't remember if that's exactly what they're labeled, but uh, there you are. And you also have a select button. Again, I don't remember that that's exactly what it's named, but there you are. Where? And you're piloting your ship through seven levels. The first, as I said, is a volcano level, which starts with a, a bit of a base sequence. Then you're piloting through a cave, and then you get to your boss. Uh, in each level, the boss consists, with one exception again, uh, consists of two different things. First is a uh, kind of like a, not a mini boss, but uh, kind of like boss A. And then uh, there's a spaceship that you have to destroy after that, a boss spaceship, and uh, then you can move on to the next level. Now, stage two is called Stonehenge, which I don't quite know why it's called Stonehenge, because it looks nothing like Stonehenge. Basically, you're piloting your ship through kind of like an asteroid field, I guess, and um, you have to go through different pathways created by all these white stones, and there's a bunch of, like, red stones in this, for those of people who uh, play Minecraft, no, it's not the same redstone. Redstones that you have to destroy to clear a path in front of you. The third stage, this is my favorite stage of the game, it's called the Moai. The reason it's called that is because you are fighting Easter Island heads, like the heads from Easter Island. And they're shooting little rings out at you that you have to destroy. Stage four is called the Inverted Volcano. It's basically the first stage over again, except everything is upside down. Fifth stage, this is the only exception to the uh, the stage layout rule, where you have to fight like these, I don't know, like little... Cabbages. Brain-looking things. Cabbages. Actually, they do kind of look like pink cabbages uh, that have tentacles. And <laughs> Boys, I said tentacle. Where, um, you know, if you uh, shoot the uh, pink cabbage... Uh, many times it'll be destroy, or you can, uh, there's like a weak spot on the arms. If you shoot that, uh, you can destroy the arms, but you still got to destroy the cabbage. Uh, let me see. Then there's a uh, stage six. That's called the cell. 
It, the, the stage looks uh, like organic, like it's a life form, like you're in, actually inside of a cell. Actually, I think this one is uh, also... No, I'm sorry, stage six is the only, is the stage. Uh, the stage we're talking about, cell, is the one that is uh, deviates from the rule of space level boss. And then stage seven is the base. And uh, it looks like a typical you know, space shooter, space base that you're trying to fly through. Well, when you're playing this game, to whom do all your base belong? Us. Okay. I guess it makes sense. Yes. Now, stage one is called the Volcano Stage for a very good reason. The first mini, the first boss at the end of the level is a couple of giant volcanoes that are just erupting. And, and actually, for uh, an early level boss, this is actually, unless you're powered up correctly, which we'll talk about the power-ups in just a moment, this one could be pretty hard, and very hard, actually, if you're not powered up correctly. Uh, and then you go against uh, what they call the big core ship. Now, the big core ship is the big boss at the end of every level, with the exception of stage six. And it's it's just like kind of like an octagon-shaped ship with, like, I don't know, four or five... It's, it's got, like, one weak spot with four or five shields, and you have to shoot out those the little shields, and then once those are gone, you can shoot the uh, the core of the uh, quote-unquote big core, and um, it'll destroy that ship. Uh, the end of the stage two is called Zubrush. That one is, they're these, um, I don't know, kind of like squarish looking ships that kind of just like pop out of the background, and you got to keep moving around so that one doesn't actually pop up on you. So, uh, you know, just keep uh, moving around and shooting. That one's actually fairly easy. The end of stage three the boss is called Mother and Child. And no, it doesn't look like a mother and child. It's like this, these bigger round ships that shoot out three smaller round ships. Basically just got to, I don't know, basically got to survive those and then you get to the big core. The boss on stage four is called the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! And uh, I can't remember exactly what the Iron Maiden does. Let me Google that real quick. They are extremely hardy and take a lot of firepower to destroy. Oh, there we go. The uh, the Iron Maiden, it's kind of looks like a, I don't know, it looks like a, a sideways view of a fried egg with an engine on it, and it shoots out littler of that same ship, which, why they call it an Iron Maiden, I don't know. And then, of course, you fight the big core again. Uh, stage five, you fight the tentacle golem. Now, remember, stage five is the tentacle stage, which is pretty much just, the whole level is pretty much just a space scene. The difference between the the, the uh, tentacle golem versus the other tentacles is the tentacle golem has more tentacles uh, going out and around. And then you, again, fight the big core afterwards. Stage six, it's a um, biological-looking enemy. It's almost like a bacteria. It's got, like, a center weak spot in the middle. Kind of hard to describe. Um, it looks like something you would see under a microscope. Yeah, well... The name of the stage is called Cell, so there you go. Mm-hmm. And then stage seven, which, interestingly, stage seven, the last stage, has pretty much the easiest boss to destroy in the game. The first thing you got to do is you got to make it through an electric uh, electronic cage, which you get into this, like, big rectangle thing, pilot your ship in there, and then these little electric beams come up through it, and you got to kind of dodge those. Uh, the electric beams aren't the actual big issue in there. The uh, the big issue in that stage are the little guns that crawl across the bottom of the screen. These crawl across actually in every level. Well, they don't crawl across in every level, but they are in every level. And uh, those things are kind of like shooting at you, and those are kind of hard to dodge when you're in the cage. 
Uh, the brain is pretty easy. All you got to do to destroy the brain is to shoot out the six uh, anchors that it has. Three on the top, three on the bottom. And when you do that, you have solved the game. Now, you're, you're saying to yourself, Self, this sounds like a pretty big task. What kind of things can we get in the game to help us out? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, when you start the game, all you have is just a, a regular, typical shoot 'em up gun on your spaceship. But every time you destroy either certain groups of items or certain enemies that are colored orange, there are two different items will be revealed. One is a blue pod. It's uh, just basically a little oval. It's got a white outline and it's blue in the middle. If you pick the blue pod up, it will destroy everything on the screen. Simple enough. But then you get something called the orange pod. Wait, I'm just curious, how far in until you get that blue pod? Because I've never seen that thing. Um, I've gotten them on the first level. I think the earliest I've ever seen them is in, actually, when you're about a third of the way through the cave in the first level. And I can't remember if it was, uh, I think it was an airborne target where I've seen that one. And it wasn't a group of targets. It was one of the, it was an orange airborne target. They are there. They are definitely there. Now, the orange pod, this is where this game is a little interesting. The uh, orange pod helps out with your power-up meter. Now, at the bottom of the screen, you've got a bar, and it has these options on them. Uh, it has it says speed up, missile, double, laser, option, and shield. you got six... Well, actually, it says question mark. Uh, the question mark is actually a shield. Now, when you pick up one of the orange pods, the very first one you pick up, it will highlight speed up. If you pick up another one, it will highlight missile. If you pick up another one, it will highlight double and laser and then option and then shield. Now, speed up, I don't remember this, but speed up can be upgraded a certain number of times. Uh, I've never actually gone really far because I only ever try to speed up just one because if you speed that up too much, your ship will not be able to control and you will die very easily. Uh, the other one that can be upgraded multiple times is one called option. Now, Obviously, speed up, missile, laser, and question mark shield are pretty self-explanatory. Although I did have to explain that question mark means shield, but work with me here. Work with me, people. Now, double gives you a second gun on your ship, but this one shoots upwards at a 45-degree angle. So it'll shoot things above you and in front of you. And then the option gives you a little like pod that follows you, a little orange pod. It's easy to tell the difference between these and the little pods that you pick up to uh, move up the power meter. Oh, and I do ha I forgot to mention that to select something, say like missile is highlighted on your power-up meter, you have to hit the select button on the console to select that, and then you will get that. Now, option can be upgraded four times, as I said, and what it does is it gives you the option has all of the weapons of your main ship. So if you have a missile and double, your option, each option you have will also have a missile and a double gun. So you're basically doubling your firepower. And as I said, you can have up to four of those. So you can have five times your firepower. And you need all the options you can get to really make it far in this game. One other thing that the, uh, the speed up does is at least this is something I've noticed, is it makes the uh, options move a little bit further from your ship than normal, which gives you a little bit more range as to your firing. So uh, that's another reason to go at least one speed up. I generally don't go more than that. And um, the shield, it puts like two blue 
I don't know. They look like Adams at the Adams A T O M, not Adam as in the Coleco family computer system. In front of your ship, uh, and it uh, your ship absorbs a certain number of shots. Again, I don't remember how many. And uh, there you go. So the way I generally play this game: one speed up. You do the missile. Missile can only be upgraded once. Do the double and get as many options as you can and your shield. I never bother with the laser. The laser actually does fire faster, but I find that the lack of shooting toward the top of the screen kind of makes you, uh, kind of gives you a, a bit of a weak spot because it's, unless you got enough speed up to where you can make it to where your options go to the top of the screen, you're really gonna have a hard time shooting stuff up there. It's safer to just go with the double and ignore the laser in my cabbage personal professional opinion my cabbage uh potato i'll have you know thank you very much so that is a basic rundown of of uh and uh what do you have to say cabbage cabbage uh potato Ooh, and a little corned beef. That was just the perfect meal for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, if you don't know the true story of St. Patrick, it certainly is. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That is for the uh, This Week in Potatoes podcast. So That is true. Uh, here we are talking about the Gramesis game here. So Gramesis. Honestly, I don't have a heck of a lot to say, quite simply because, full disclosure here, sorry, classicarcadegaming.com, but... I never played this game until we decided to cover this on the podcast. Oh? So I'm a newbie to whatever the heck newbie. we're going to call this na- this game, whether it be Nemesis, Gradius, Gratisus, Graduation, whatever. My overall thoughts is, at least the way that I see it, it seems to be kind of a combination of a uh, slightly higher res, well, maybe not slightly higher res, but much higher res Scramble, and perhaps Vanguard as well, and... Having said that, I don't know what more to say other than it's an enjoyable game. It really is. You just you know shoot everything that's on the screen that you can shoot. And unlike the previous game we talked about today that I didn't really like, what makes it different other than that it's a horizontal scrolling? Oh, by the way, here's a fun fact for you. Something I learned in my TV production class in college. Yes. When it moves left and right, it is not a scroll. It is a crawl. Scrolling means up and down. So ah, this is not a yes, scrolling game. This correct. Is, this is a crawling game. You are absolutely correct, my friend. And it's interesting you mentioned Scramble, because A, this is made by the same company, Scramble. That is true. Scramble is a Konami game. It was released in the U.S. by Stern, the people that brought us Berserk. But it's also interesting because a little history here. Gradius was the original name of the game in Japan. When they took it overseas, they changed the name to Nemesis. But then, later, all of the international releases were renamed Gradius. And during development, they referred to it as Scramble 2. Really? Mm -hmm. This wasn't Super Cobra supposed to be the sequel to Scramble? Apparently so, but this was being referred to as Scramble 2. Now, if you think about it, Super Cobra and Scramble are similar games, which we've never talked about either of them on the show. Right. But the difference is that uh, Scramble was a spaceship and Super Cobra was a helicopter. Oh, so it is true. since this is a spaceship, this is one time where I would give them benefit of the doubt as far as the naming if they were to go with Scramble 2. But mm-hmm. it's widely different enough from Scramble to give it some other name. But honestly, I don't get either name, Gradius or Nemesis. But Nemesis actually, to me, so- actually sounds like it makes a little more sense. But... You know, all that having been said... Um... That might be why I never played it before, actually, because, well, first of all, 
where I would have seen it would have been Galloping Ghost, where they do have a nemesis machine. And according to and what I have I, played it there. And according to what I heard, Doc searched high and low for that thing too. He had a hard time getting it. Now, I remember playing Gradius, actually, for the first time at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois, at the Aladdin's Castle. Long gone, by the way. When I first played it, I was—I remember being, well, it's, it's a decent game, but I, I didn't really, really get into it too much. And then, <laughs> uh, might, we might also go into ports here now, but uh, then it was released to the Nintendo Entertainment System, which I owned at the time. I had the NES Max controller, which is kind of a little like slidey thing for your con- for your uh, your directional control, which some people hated. I enjoyed it, and then it had two rapid fire buttons. And I enjoy actually enjoy the NES version more than the arcade. Now, can you uh, can you explain the slidey control? I mean, how would that work since this is an eight way game? Okay, what happens? Um, everybody knows the uh, well. I hope the NES has a like a cross directional pad. What they did is they replaced that with a circle. Oh, like an intelligence. If you press up and down on the circle, the black circle on the ring, it will move it, and it works just like the gamepad. The slidey thing was it's a little red button that sits inside the circle, so that lets your thumb slide into position. And it still works the same. It's just kind of like... Um, it's kind of like an Intellivision controller. In a way, in a way, except the, the, uh, the red thing actually moves. Right, um, but, but it, it's, it's a, still the same way you would like the if you know properly how to use an Intellivision controller as is, then that's how you would do it. And, it would, and if people would just learn how to use it that way, they, they would complain about Intellivision controllers a lot less. And I do have to say the um, now I, I admittedly use the first of all the NES Max is probably one of my top five controllers of all time. Uh, number one would probably be the Genesis Arcade Stick followed by the Genesis gamepad, followed by the uh, CX-40, which is the Atari joystick. Oh, I love the CX-40. Yes, and then the uh, and then I would probably put the NES Max after that, and then the Sega Sportspad. Will you use the Ed Ladin controllers? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, that's I'll cross that bridge eventually at some point. But the NES Max also has two rapid-fire buttons on it, underneath the A and B button. Oh, the one thing that made Gradius on the NES easier than the arcade is the fact that it had two buttons. Because every time you pressed the fire button, it shot your guns and your missiles. You did not have a separate missile button. And so you just had to just keep concentrating on that button. When you wanted to select your weapon, you hit, uh, I believe it was the B button. And it made the game actually a little easier. And I, I, I've never completed... The arcade game, but I have completed the NES version a few times. Yeah, people have told uh, me that it is easier than the arcade version. Yeah, it's definitely easier. I would say partially because of the uh, the control scheme. Huh. Uh, another reason is I believe Gradius on the NES was the first home game to introduce the Konami code. Oh. Now, does everybody know what the Konami code is? Up, down, up, down, left, right, nope. left. Up, up, down, down, left, right, ah. left, right, BA start. Shows you and how much if you I do that, it. you get all of the, you get the shield, you get all of the options. I believe you get the double fire. You have to still select the missile, I believe. But yeah, you get those. In early versions of the game, you can do it unlimited a number of times. Later editions of the game, uh, you can only do it once. 
And I believe, uh, as a uh, kind of a thumbing your nose to the Konami Code, I could be wrong, could be Contra that introduced the Konami Code now that I think about it. Um, in uh, one of the sequels, I believe it was uh, Life Force on the NES, which is a sequel to Gradius. If you did the Konami Code, uh, it actually ended your game, blew up all the rest of your ships, <laughs> ended the game. Uh, there was actually a different code for that one, but uh, there was in so many Konami games that they decided to throw something out at you at left field. Or out, out at you from left field. There we go. Now, I was talking about ports. This was also on the Commodore 64. It was on Windows. It was on an NEC console. Uh, TurboGrafx-16. It was on the Sharp X1, Sharp X6800. It's been on mobile phones, PlayStation 2, Sinclair ZX Spectrum. The NEC PC8801. And I know it's on the Wii Virtual Console because I actually bought it for the Wii Virtual Console, and I can tell you that that's a later release of the ROM because you can only do the Konami code once. And yes, I did actually solve the game without doing the Konami code, but I did have the rapid fire on the NES Max, so take that for whatever you want. I wasn't playing for score, I was just playing to get to the end of the game and uh, have a good time, and uh, the NES version, I had a really good time. So, as long as we're here, might as well talk about the sequels. Uh, the first sequel to Gradius was on the NES. I believe most of these were on the NES, but, uh, okay, there was Salamander slash Life Force. The NES was Life Force. Well, actually, Salamander and Life Force, the second Gradius game, was called either one of those, depending on which arcade had which machine. And then, of course, that was the next one in line of the Gradius lineage, if you will, and the next sequel was called Gradius 2. Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. It's the third game in the series, and it's called Gradius 2. And, of course, the fourth one is Gradius 3. And after that, what game is next? Take a wild guess. What is the, uh, what is the fifth game called? Citizens on Patrol. Close. The fifth game in the series is Salamander 2. All right, can I just say something here? <laughs> Go for it. Attention video game companies. Stop this crap. Name your games in a reasonable order, please. Please, please, please. The Angry Video Game Nerd had an excellent... Um, I don't remember if it was him or if, or if it was the Angry Video Game Nerd or if it was just... Uh, or if it was... Um, just James. Just, uh, just James. He did a thing about uh, movies and the, uh, and the names because he went off on the Rambo series. The first one was called First, first Blood. Blood. The second yeah. one was called Rambo First Blood Part 2. The third one is Rambo 3. And then the fourth one is Rambo. <laughs> so, oh, and then the uh, the sixth in the series is Gradius 4. <laughs> so, oh, boy. And there is an interesting uh, couple of spinoffs. Uh, not sequels, but spinoffs of Gradius. They play the same, but they have... Uh, cutesy graphics. Uh, it's called Parodius. Is that where you're fighting against potato dumplings? Uh, I believe so. I believe there is some of that, but uh, it's... Well, the, the name gives it away. Parodius. Parody of Gradius. Oh. So, yeah, and I believe there's two games in that series, and I've played those, and uh, those are actually quite fun. Uh, if you have MAME on your PC, or if you have uh, Arcade Emulator, uh, check those out. Those are quite fun, uh, cutesy little types of uh, uh, shoot 'em up games like this one. And um, I think that that is all I have to say about Gradius. And uh, so uh, how about scores? You got anything on scores? I got anything on scores. And I wasn't done saying what I had to say about Gradius. But hey, you want scores? So you know what? I'm going to do scores. Well, fine. So yeah, we're gonna scores. 
Um, we're going to score. Now, I don't know exactly what the scoring, how the score is determined in this game, but I can tell you some things about the uh, world records that I see according to the official and not quite official, but still very commonly used site, specifically that is Orcade.com, which I will start with. Pardon me. I, I apologize for the dangling preposition with which I will start. Orcade.com, interestingly, for God knows what reason, I'm sure there's a good reason for it has two different tracks, one for Gradius or Gradius or Gradius or Gradius or Gradius or whatever it is. Or Smith, they're all silent. Or And, and they also have a separate track for Nemesis, interestingly. I but, wonder if there's a difficulty uh, difference in them as well, because they're, uh, you know how Japan like changes yeah. difficulty between games between the their country and the rest of the world sometimes. I know of at least one difference, and I'll get into that in a moment. Okay. But uh, according to Orcade.com, Ryan Barringer has the Orcade.com world record for Gradius, Gradius, whatever. The G word. We'll just say that. March 24th, 2012 at <laughs> Midwest Gaming Classic, Ryan Barringer scored 209,400. Now, the Nemesis Orcade.com world record is held by somebody we actually saw at Midwest Gaming Classic. Pete Hun. Oh, really? Yes. I think he has a lot of uh, both Orcade and Twin Galaxies records, actually. On March 10th, 2015, at where else but Galloping Ghost Arcade, he scored 427,500. Now, speaking of Galloping Ghost Arcade, and mm -hmm. at least once or twice already this episode, I uh, mentioned their podcast. Now, something interesting that was mentioned on one of their not terribly long ago podcast episodes was possibly cleaning up Twin Galaxies because there are a lot of questionable records in there that mm -hmm. go way back to the 80s. You know, when people didn't necessarily videotape their scores, they, they didn't necessarily record their games on video or anything. They had them refereed or they performed mm -hmm. their scores at live events or whatever. And I'm suspecting that's what happened with Nemesis because according to Twin Galaxies, Paul Ashworth uh, verified July 12th, 1985 scored 1,195,500. That's a heck of a lot higher than Ry what, how uh, Ryan and Pete scored in this game. Yeah, that is quite Especially a bit higher. Especially because Pete is, I, I know Pete is a major gamer. He knows how to play oh, in just yeah, about anything. So I'm really wondering how accurate, how reliable the Paul Ashworth score is. Uh, I don't mean I don't mean to say anything bad about Paul Ashworth. I'm just you know, it could be curious. legitimate, but there could, are, oh, as, yeah, as, yeah. As, as we've talked about before, there are a lot of questionable scores that have gotten passed off in the past, passed off in the past. You know that uh, people thought were legit. Uh, wasn't one of them uh, the Pac-Man score? Didn't we talk about that? There's like a really questionable Pac-Man. Oh score. my god! Not not so much questionable, just impossible. Like that. Right. Like but everybody. I, but the, it like, wasn't no, really questionable. Get of a eight lot. million in Pac-Man, unless you unless you're playing it on uh, one of the on Class of '81 reunion or Pac-Man 25th right. anniversary, you can continue. Right. That is the only possible way you can score that high. But yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see if there's anybody else who can actually score. In the millions on, on uh, Nemesis. I mean, I'm sure it could be possible. I just haven't done it. And going back to uh, how possible it is, well, someone once told me, I, I think I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, actually, but uh, somebody had told me the NES version is easier than the arcade version. Uh, mm -hmm. Personally, I can't really tell the difference in difficulty myself. Uh, I'm just about as, well, crappy on the NES version as I am on the arcade version. But something that made me think scramble or scramble sequel was 
Scramble was one of those games where I really, really sucked at, but every single time I played it, I advanced a little bit. Every single time. Like, there was never a point where I didn't advance. And I'm finding the same thing with Nemesis Gradius Gradius, what the G word, whatever. I'm finding that every single time I sit down to play it, I'm going along farther. And it's the horizontal shooter, of course. You have to move around and all that stuff. So it's very scramble-like to me. And of course, what was interesting is um, I was having a conversation with our friend George Spanos, who uh, we're going to have to get on the show. We got some, uh, we got a uh, chat with him recorded. We're going to have to use here and there. And we were talking about uh, things like The Simpsons and uh, another game that we actually played at Midwest Gaming Classic. And I just realized I hate Konami games. I didn't care much for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is a Konami game and I'd rather like it. And I like Scramble very much too. Gyrus is Konami. So I guess what I don't like is fight and go right games by Konami. Mm-hmm. I guess they're just too formulaic, but the space shooters are pretty, um, pretty original. They're unique, including the G word and Nemesis, the same game, of course. Yep. And there's one home conversion that I really was hoping you were going to talk about or, or at least mention, but I didn't hear you mention it. ColecoVision. Oh, that's right. The, yep. uh, with the uh, the new uh, quote-unquote super game module from Opcode Games, I believe it's on That's there? right. That's right. Atari Age is taking pre-orders for that now. People who have listened to enough of this show or heard my contributions on other podcasts know that I'm a big fan of homebrews. Oh, yeah. And you better believe if I had a ColecoVision, I'd be buying up all these Opcode games. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Um, I, I wish my, my, uh, my Adam was working. And uh, I've been thinking about uh, doing some stuff with that. Um, somebody actually had a, a, an SD card adapter for the uh, for the oh, Atom, man. not just a ColecoVision card, but one for the Atom where you could load stuff uh, from tapes uh, from the, the data packs on there. And uh, I'd love to get that, but that's something further down the road if I ever do that. Just, you know, but you know, there's that. But um, I rudely interrupted you about the scores. You were going to say more, or did you pretty much cover that? I do believe I pretty much covered it, actually. Okay. I, I would but that say was that the rude idiot... of you to interrupt. Well, but then again, I always am I rude. wish you would stop interrupting, you know? Yeah, well... It can really get on somebody's nerves. Mm-hmm. Are you done? Anyway, <laughs> Yes, um... I'm done. Ah, I know you too well. The... What was I going to say? Now my train of thought is boarding at the station. Oh, yeah. Uh, the NES version is easier just because of the uh, the control setup. And by the way, I really enjoy the NES version. Oh, the NES version is a blast. I love it. Me and my brother played a, the hell out of this game. This one, uh, Legend of Zelda, which <laughs> there's a funny story there, but uh, this is an arcade podcast. Uh, maybe you'll hear about it on... If you want to hear about Legend of Zelda, listen to uh, Super Podcast Brothers episode 35, which as of yes. this date of recording is their current episode. Yes, that's an excellent, excellent episode. In fact, the only episode of theirs that they've done so far that they didn't really care for was the baseball one, but that's only because oh, I'm I not a huge... No, you know I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of sports games I general. do have to say this, and I'm sorry, everybody, that I'm getting off topic here, but there's one thing i got to say, and I did bring this up to them. I had a bone to pick with them. In their, in their baseball countdown, it did not include sports talk baseball in the Sega Genesis. Uh, I don't know that I got to tell I you. I have heard I, of it, but I'm I not. have never laughed so freaking hard any other time than when I played sports talk baseball in the Sega Genesis because the little play-by-play guy was just so off <laughs> like you'd hear like the play being announced from like a minute ago because he was so slow 
And if you hit, I forgot which button it is, but you, you change your infield position. And every time you hit the button, the announcer would announce the, the infield position. And because you could hit the button faster than he could announce, it would take like 10 minutes. Infield back, infield in, infield normal, infield back, infield in, infield Oh, that's normal. awesome. I got to check that out. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love the sports talk games on Sega Genesis. So yeah, you know what they remind me of? Huh. They remind me of Nemesis. See how I made that transition there? Oh, how do they remind you of Nemesis? They're video games. Ah, oh, I ah. see. Oh, and as we speak, um, the Cubs are winning 7-1 to against the Reds in the third inning. So what just is like up with the Cubs this year? Seriously. Somebody got laid. That's about the only thing I can think of. Yeah. At any rate, that's pretty much all I have to say about this game. And um, Oh, you know what? You've... Before I forget, um, have you been playing this in MAME at all, Nemesis? Nemesis? I have been playing it. Um, I'm nowhere near as good as at the arcade one as I am on the NES version. Sure. But I have been playing it, and um, you know, I do enjoy the game. I think I like the NES version better, but... Uh, the that's just me. Before we recorded this episode, I, pl- I uh, plugged in um, a joystick, and I tr- tried it in MAME, and it was auto-firing. I couldn't get it to stop really? firing. Yeah, I, and that was weird. And if I what tried controller with, did you use? It was my uh, Uber Arcade stick. Huh. And I was using it with other games in MAME, and it worked fine. It was just really weird, but when I had that thing plugged in, it would auto-fire. I was still able to uh, change weapons and things. Did it, um... But I don't know. I checked does, the Does that thing switches. have an auto-fire... No. No. Control on it? I wonder if there might be a dip switch setting in Gradius. But I checked, and there wasn't anything obvious. When really? I, and what was, what was interesting is I hit the tab key to get the, uh, the menu, and it mm-hmm. stopped firing. Everything else kept going, but it stopped firing. It was kind of weird. Interesting. I'm just curious if anybody else had that <gasps> problem. I, mean, I yeah, have never I mean, heard about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm maybe half-hour drive from Galloping Ghost. I could just go play it, but, you know, who has time in today's economy? Oh, Indeed. In these post-9-11 times, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, I believe you were going to you were gonna say Super Fudgy Tuna Jump. Oh, that's it. Super Fudgy Tuna Jump. So, at that, I think, uh, I think I'm ready to rate this. What do you think? I totally agree. You are ready to rate this. Sweet. How about you? Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, the uh, only since thing you're is, the host, why don't you rate? Okay, since I'm hosting this time, um, I will rate. The only thing is... Remember, I'm pretty new to this game. I've only been playing this the last couple of weeks. So I'm only going on very newbie exposure. Uh-huh. And so far I suck at the game, but I am improving little by little every time I play it. Your uh, estimation of the game where you say it's one of those that you can get, you know, a little bit better each time you play is spot on. I I agree with that. And the fact that my English teachers always said don't say the fact that cuz that's kind of redundant. So let me start again. Ah. And that I actually wanted to keep playing this, like play it again, mm-hmm. start over again from the beginning and see if I can get further. That kind of tells me that I should probably rate, give it a, a good rating. So I'm going to say a cautious four continues mm-hmm. out of five. Four out of five continues. And I will agree with that four out of five. I think one of the things that caught me the very first time I played this game, the very first time I saw it in the arcade... Uh, I was familiar with uh, I was familiar with Scramble and Defender. Uh, I hadn't actually ever seen Super Cobra in the arcade until I went to Galloping Ghost, but I was familiar with that style of game and and uh, and that sort of graphics. The first time I saw this game and saw what it looked like and how it sounded, I was in awe. 
at the visuals. Aww. Aww. This game has some very nice visuals. I kind of like the uh, the explosion of your ship. It's uh, that is a good explosion. It's a good explosion. It's not the uh, it's not the kind of multimedia you know Actually, particle no. thing. No, it is not a good explosion. Actually, no. yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's not. Oh. It's just not a good sound for that explosion, and you know why. I like that sound. I like that sound for that I explosion. I have issues with that sound. You have issues. Aren't they in outer space? Oh, okay. Uh, actually, though, in the first stage, oh, it depends on yeah, the stage. That's, that's where you true. Are in the stage. That's true. That's ah, true. Yeah. See, okay. I Never got you mind. There. Cheerfully withdrawn. <laughs> but I do. Lo- I love the opening theme song to this game. That's the other thing I wanted, to ta- I wanted to talk about. When you were playing it in MAME, which version were you playing? Were you playing Gradius? Gradi- were you playing the G word or were you playing Nemesis? Uh, I was playing the G spot. Okay. Yeah, so you noticed that when you started it up, it had that little churchy kind of theme music during, and, and the countdown before yes, the- Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, I did notice that. I was going to bring that up too. That is Thank not you for reminding on, me. Yeah, that is not on the Nemesis ROM. No, it isn't. No. It is on the Gradius one. Yes. Yeah, and I like that. And so did the, I. And the thing I dislike about it is the fact that that's that power on and you can't hear that anywhere else. Except for this podcast. You're welcome, everybody. And take it away, the Gradius Hall Singers. I hope you enjoyed that musical interlude. Yeah, this game has some good sound effects and music. I know that it does kind of loop a little bit, but it's not one of those irritating loops. It's actually kind of a kind of pleasing music. You know what? The music in this game kind of made me think, wow, this is kind of like Gyrus in terms of how the music changes. And it really does work with this game. It's not quite as exciting as the Gyrus music, but hey, it really works. It really does. No. Yeah, it, it, I think it really sets the mood for this game quite nicely. And with that, this game for me gets a four. I do have to say that I kind of like the NES version a little bit better because the control scheme, it's not that difficult on the uh, in the arcade. You just got the one extra button, but it's just the uh, removal of one of the buttons on the home version makes me like the home version a little bit better. But overall, I cannot say that I hate this game. And this is a game I come back to every time, every oh, now and then. I absolutely do not hate this no, game. No, this is, this is a fun game. This is a good, solid number four. With that, should we reveal the, uh, the theme for today's episode? Oh, I came up with another theme. So yes, do reveal. Okay. The theme of today's episode are games that people have different pronunciations for. Notice I didn't say that they mispronounce because we joke about the pronunciation of the games, but... As I said, I'm when, not joking. But as I said, when we were talking about Galaga or G- Galaga or whatever, we know what game you're talking about. Just keep rolling with it. We know what you're talking about. I'm not joking. It makes me think back to those Atari, those um, Atari 2600 boxes and manuals. It's f-ing Galaga. <laughs> no, but these are games that people pronounce differently. Galaga, 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 Smith, or Gradius, Gradius, Nemesis, Nemesis. Sisanimi Jones. By the way, listen to our Atari 7800 episode with Phil the No Swear Gamer for other ways of pronouncing the G oh, game, yeah. the first G <laughs> game we talked about. Yes. But the other theme, yeah. and I don't know if you notice this, 
games that start with the letter G that are shooter games that have pretty freaking nice intro music. Yeah, well, you know. I'm talking specifically of the G words opening yeah. startup, the boot up I... music. I love the music on Galaga. I, I really do. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. That's not one of the, the more in-depth themes that we've had, but it's uh, that's still a good one. Yeah, I'll give you that. Sure. sure. Why not? Yeah, why the heck? Why not? not? So I guess uh, I guess that's our video game discussion for tonight and for this week or whatever time of day you're listening. But we have other things we want to talk about really briefly, do we not? Well, first of all, don't we need to talk about what games are going to talk about next show? Such as? Such as? Well, let me pull the spreadsheet up because we already discussed this and I totally forgot what we decided. Ah, yes. Next time around, we're going to talk about Asteroids Deluxe and Super Zaxxon. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I can't wait either. Because one of those is one of my favorite game, most favorite games of all time, and the other one is Super Zaxxon. No, um, <laughs> I think I just revealed how I'm going to rate things. Um, but we will be talking about Asteroids Deluxe and Super Zaxxon. Now, you were saying you had some stuff to addend to the end of the show, which is not addenda, technically addenda or errata material. No, this is just kind of a final thought. Kind of like how Springsteen... Springsteen? No, Springer has his final thought at or the end G. of his Or G.I. Joe knows half the battle. Exactly. Or Popeye uh, first tells of all, you not to do prescription drugs. Yep. <laughs> and first of all, those of you who have been uh, contacting us and saying, hey, I saw what you did for the April Fool's Day theme, you were absolutely right. So kudos to... Oh, yeah. We got a, we got a lot of feedback on that, so yes. good job, everybody. Yeah, on, I'm, uh, I'm surprised anybody caught our uh, April Fool's joke. Yeah, because episode 28, that was the uh, show we we were trying to get out on April 1st, but we didn't, but it came close enough. So, hey, good on all of you for that one. And also, those of you who have been regular listeners, you probably know that, uh, well, Jimmy G is uh, doing Hi. a is uh, biking for charity soon. Bike MS, DeKalb, Illinois, Tour Day Farms. There is a link in the show notes of a prior episode to his uh, sponsor page, and uh, uh, we probably should put that link in the current episode's show notes, too, episode 29. I am also going to be riding my bicycle for charity coming up soon. And throughout the month of July, it's a different kind of thing. It's the Great Cycle Challenge, and it's raising money for the Children's Cancer Research Fund. Nice. And the deal is, throughout the month of June... I have committed to riding my bike for at least 175 miles. I was originally just going to put 150 miles, but I realized that I only need to ride my bike back and forth to and from work 10 times that during that month, which I probably would do anyway. So I figured, yeah, better give it a little bit more and I'll try to do a heck of a lot more as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And, um, God, I feel weird because we keep asking people for money. Donate to Patreon to us. Donate to Bike MS for Jimmy G. Donate to Children's Cancer Research Fund for Sean. Two of those three are good causes. Strictly voluntary. We're not absolutely putting a gun to your head and, and getting a politician or a police officer after you to donate or to whatever. But, uh, just, you no. know, if, if, if you, you feel charitous, yeah, we're not going to lay the guilt trip on you. Just. You know, whatever. It, Even you know. though I was raised Catholic. But um, anyway, um, I guess this is Pie Factory Podcast, episode 29. From Pie Factory Logistics Center south of Morris, he is... Jimmy G. And from the Pie Factory headquarters north in Chicago, this is Shawnee Two Times. Shawnee Two Times. And remember, keep your head in the clouds and keep We're not doing for the that stars. again. We didn't do that one. 
I don't think yes, we've we done did. That. Have we done that? Yes, we did. But we don't repeat things. We don't repeat things. We don't repeat things? We don't repeat things. Oh. We don't repeat things. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Um, blah, blah, blah. I gotta come up with an alternate word for um... So let me get this straight. You went to. Oh, shit, shit, shit. Ow, 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 ow. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Charlie Horse. Ah. Oh. Ow. Damn, that hurt. Hide, yeah. you know what to do. <laughs> yeah. You are a vicious bastard. I'm glad you're dead. I can remember certain things about it in public. Uh, ooh, excuse me. Well, I remember things about that. Man, oh, those were Did the days. Did that in public over the weekend? I'm still running into some technical problems with the uh, United States Geologic Survey uh, Topo Map Quad by Quad podcast. Uh, I think we got up to West Yellowstone before we started having some technical problems. So I apologize to all of the listeners to that one for that. But man, I'll tell you what, some of them geothermal features, man, I was getting really excited talking about those things. But I was really looking forward to the tectonics involved. You have no idea, man. Holy crap. That is... Mm surprisingly erotic for some reason but oh gosh our, our listeners no, to that no, show no. our no. listeners to that show man they, they got a real treat in store when yeah, we start talking yeah. about the black hills quad ooh, man okay i think okay there we go i'm live again just like starting over the threat of me singing Yoko Ono was enough to make your system resync itself. Actually, um, that was a John, that was uh, from John Lennon's portion of that album. This is true, but you never know. I might have might have uh, might have um, segued into kiss, 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 kiss. I gotta say something here. She did a really nice job on "Yes, I'm Your Angel." I don't really remember that song. That's a, that she, that's a cute little song, and she sings it really nicely. The problem is, it's a ripoff of "Making Whoopie," and I think she actually got sued over that. Oh, really? Yep. Well, but then again, this is Yoko. V cubed, Vic, Vic, Vic huh. Viper. So yeah. Vic, 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 Vit 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 Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook on Twitter at